Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is the perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. and was asked to uh, head over to the Department of Defense 
And so I started there. My first day at work at the Pentagon was on March 16th of 2020. So if you recall, that was almost the very first day of COVID. And so I started yeah. kind of on that. Yeah, so it was challenging. So I was supposed to be sworn in that day and ended up being sworn in over the phone. And as you said, I was starting off as a director of small business. So in Department of Defense, the small business, some people might think of it as mom and pops, but depending on what category you're in, it can be 5,000 employees or less. And it's about $80 billion in spending each and every year. So it really helps to protect and safeguard our defense industrial base and all of our small businesses. So not the big, big ones, but the ones that are so essential for our safety and for our fighters. Um, so I started on March 16th and very first day of COVID. So what was interesting is in my department, we had a lot of people, obviously military, civilians, contractors, about 700 personnel throughout the United States, but everyone was going remote immediately. And so when I started, I didn't have a chance to meet anyone that I was going to be working with in person. Everything was remote on the phone and then eventually on Zoom. Um, now, I did go to the Pentagon every day, and so we worked with a lot of our team within the Pentagon, um, other department leadership, but within my own team, they were all pretty much remote for the uh, year that I was there. Yes, yeah, certainly that had to you know, be something out of the ordinary, but not to have the, you know, the, the normal experience of someone going to the Pentagon. Uh, a question I've always wondered uh, about working there is, and of course, never been there myself, is that I sure. always imagine, you know, walking through the halls and everything, it'd be pretty Spartan. I mean, is it like Spartan in there? Or is it pretty elaborate? Or, I mean, not to go over any, you know, details you shouldn't, but I always was curious about that. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I won't go over any details that I'm not allowed to go over. Now, during regular times, the Pentagon does have tours, of course, in limited areas, but I would encourage anyone that if you're in D.C. and you're able to get a Pentagon tour and just get into that incredible building, you definitely should try and do that. So in the Pentagon, it is not Spartan at all. What's interesting is almost every floor, a lot of the walls, it is a living museum. So if you go, there'll be one area, you know, for – um, uh, POWs, another area for our first service members, another area for Army and Navy and Space Force. So it's, it's like a museum where it just talks about the history of all of our military uh, defense organizations. And so you could spend days and days trying to look at each and every exhibit. So as you recall, the Pentagon, of course, it's, it's five shapes. It's a, a five-shaped building, but there are five floors also, and then there are hallways. So the A, B, C, D, uh, A, B, C, D, and E hallway, and then you have ten aisles. So it's easier if you can explain by picture. But it, it's a big, massive building. It can take if you watch all of the aisle, all of the aisles, all of the areas. It would be about 17 miles. And wow. so it does take a while to get around in the Pentagon, but the way that they set it up is you always go to the inner ring, the A ring, which is the closest circle, and right outside there, there's a little courtyard. So if you ever have, whenever you have meetings or things like that, you always go to the inner courtyard and then walk around, 
for the quarter that you're supposed to go to. And um, they say that you can get from anywhere in the Pentagon within seven minutes. Now, I don't think they were doing that in, in Kiel's. Um, but if you know where you're going and if you can be efficient, then you can pretty much get anywhere, I would say, within 10 minutes. But um, I would try and go a different way whenever I was going to meetings so that I could see a different aisle or a different corridor. And even after a year, I'd go through a corridor. I thought, I don't think I've ever seen this before. I've never seen this area. Um, what's interesting is all of the doors have names, whatever offices in there. And, of course, there's a lot of security to get into the Pentagon in the first place. Okay, but man. then to get into your own office. Yeah, but then to get into your office complex is a lot of security also. So there's not open doors where you can walk around. Every office has, or classified, has um, doors that you, that you need combinations to get into. You need to have access. But what's interesting is on the outside, it says what the doors are. And it's like mindset office of small business. Well, it's so funny, though, because people are always looking for kind of the unique ones. And... Um, there's an office as you go by that says Office of Alien Autopsies. And oh, wow. So, suppose, <laughs> so supposedly that's the technical people. So the technical people kind of had a joke, and so they put that up on their uh, office door. So that's an area where visitors always want to try and go and see where it says Office of Alien Autopsies. Um, and there's another one that has reference to maybe some Star Wars or Star Trek things also about the Empire. Um, but, oh, in, but nice. in general, they're pretty descriptive, <laughs> but you'll have a little bit of humor on occasion. But you do feel like the Pentagon is a living, breathing building. And it's just, it was such an honor to be in there. And when you see the pictures and the uh, museum-type quality of the displays, you just really thank all the military people for everything that they've done for our country and still do. Um, it's, it's very touching. And, you know, especially during COVID, it, it was like we were at war trying to keep our defense industrial base safe. And, um, you know, it, it was a very different time to be not only in the Pentagon, but to be in D.C., uh, my first month or two there, I could drive my car into D.C. and literally on Pennsylvania Avenue be the only car. And it oh, was wow. very eerie that you just wouldn't see anyone else uh, around at all. So it, it was a different year, that's for sure. No, again, I mean, uh, I don't know what you could divulge or not, but, I mean, did you ever be in any meetings or get to personally meet uh, President Trump? Um, I met uh, President Trump previously, but because of COVID and all of the special precautions that were taken during the year, um, we, we had very limited access as far as with any of our meetings. Um, we did a lot on Zoom, a lot on phone, and really limited uh, a lot of the interaction because of COVID. So, you know, there are some things that definitely – uh, we improved upon during COVID, but there are some things for a new person in D.C. that you felt a little bit that you missed out on because there just weren't any of the normal activities or, if you will, the Easter egg hunt at the White House or things like that. They just weren't available to, uh, during 2020 um, for good reason. But, but when I started, I was the director of small business, and what's so interesting is we have so many small businesses throughout the United States that do a lot of work for our military, and during COVID, it was very challenging, 
because you can imagine if you're a Boeing or a big supplier, when COVID hits, you're able to keep manufacturing because you really need to for the defense industrial base. But we were having a lot of smaller businesses that were having local law enforcement or state officials saying you need to shut down, not realizing maybe that they are, you know, if they're a widget maker for, uh, for let's say, for Boeing or for someone like that, and that they really do need to keep operating for national security. So we had to look and set policies kind of throughout the United States on how we can keep these important businesses running, what's the best way to do that to make sure that people are safe and secure at their place of business, but that they're able to keep providing these so that our warfighters, our soldiers are ready at all times uh, for our nation. And we need to make sure that we have the correct number and, and type of supplies for them. Uh, same thing with PPP, when the uh, personal, uh, when the loans, uh, it was challenging because we thought throughout all of the United States and any business, sometimes it was hard to get those uh, PPP loans. And so we really needed to work to ensure that uh, small businesses in the defense industrial base were able to do that for the parading. And then um, in June, I was asked to take over as the acting deputy assistant secretary of defense for industrial policy. And so at that time, um, then my duties expanded. And not only was it small business, but then also it was all of the work uh, for the Defense Production Act, EPA, which normally is about $50 million a year, but during COVID, it, it went up to um, a billion dollars. And wow. then also, um, yes, yeah, which is the Committee on Foreign Investment Review, uh, we handled that for the, the Department of Defense. So uh, it was fast and furious, and, you know, I understand why in administration, sometimes you have people that are there just a year, two years, three years, because you really are working all the time for the betterment of the nation. And I, I certainly saw that firsthand, at least in the Department of Defense. So it was almost like a 24-7 thing. Absolutely it was. And, you know, I was coming from Cincinnati City Council, where that was very much 24-7 also. And so Department of Defense, because you're working with all of, obviously, our states, you're working with other countries, so um, you're kind of on and going at all times, um, which, you know, I, as I said, the, the men and women in our services, I give them so much credit for the work they do for our country. And it was just a great honor in the Pentagon because every work group has quite a few mixture of people, whether it's a military person, it's the Army, Navy, Air Force, Space Force now. I, it could be any of those, those different types of groups. And, you know, it's exciting to a Space Force uh, standing up within the past few years. And I certainly know mm -hmm. in the Pentagon, so it's kind of interesting. You might have heard, um, I think there's about 25,000 people that work in the Pentagon. Now, when I was there, it was mainly at 20% capacity. So many, many times you wouldn't see another person in the hallway, but usually it's a bustling city. Um, there's something like 20, 30 places where you can go to eat, restaurants, fast food operations. Wow. Um, there's a post office. There's a gift store. There's clothing stores. So pretty much anything you need during the day, you can just go down a few flights of stairs and get. So it's very helpful because 
because of where the building is, it's not easy, as you can imagine, to get to your car or get to the metro station and go somewhere for lunch or go run some errands or see a doctor. So, um, you know, there's a pharmacy in the Pentagon and a lot of things that uh, help make life easier for everyone there. But uh, it does take a, a while to get used to it all. So, how, I mean, you hear about, you know, different, um, you know, politicians and people who work down there, staff or things of that nature, living in D.C. I mean, how would, you know, going from Cincinnati, living in Cincinnati mm-hmm. and then living in, in D.C. at least for a time, I mean, how was that transition? I mean, how was it different there in D.C.? I mean, because Cincinnati is a decent-sized city, too. Um, but what was, you know, what's the feel, I guess, for, you know, living there? You know, like the living yeah, arrangements, exactly. things like that. Sure, that's a great question, Robert. And I always laugh because my, you know, my year in D.C. was unlike any other because my year in D.C. was my COVID year in D.C. So yeah, I started on no March 16th. And uh, when my, my term ended towards the end of January, the very first day I got back from D.C., I was diagnosed uh, with COVID. So it was oh kind my of the bookends to this whole experience, and I recovered and everything was just fine. But so when I went there, we kept our house in Cincinnati um, because this is where our, our home is. But I at first got a studio apartment um, in Alexandria. And because I didn't know my way around D.C., I was not familiar with the area at all, so I wanted to make sure that I was near the two defense buildings that I would be working in. I heard that traffic was just horrific, and so I wanted to make sure that I had the right plan, but I thought I'll just get a studio apartment for a month so that I can figure out traffic patterns, where I'll be going to and from, and make sure that I'm living in the right location. Well, you know, all your best laid plans, Um, you know, for me, there was no traffic in D.C. the entire time, and so traffic was was not an issue at all. Um, I had had a studio apartment that was furnished just because I wanted to figure out where I would be, but, you know, it just happened to everyone in so many different areas of, of life during 2020, but uh, when I decided I wanted to move up to a one-bedroom, uh, the problem was I was going to have to get furniture and things, which, of course, everything in April was shut down. And so, um, you know, I was able to get a lot of that uh, online. And uh, so I was in my studio, and uh, the first week or so I did a lot of work out of my house. And so pretty soon I decided I, I needed a bigger area, and that's when I um, moved to one bedroom in Old Town, Alexandria. And it turned out just being wonderful. Um, we were about two blocks from the Potomac River. And oh. even during COVID, we were able to just get on our bikes from my apartment. And if I went 10 miles in one direction, we could hit Mount Vernon, George Washington's home. We went 10 miles in the other direction on the bikes. We would be in downtown D.C. And so, you know, just loved being in Washington, D.C. I was very much looking forward to the Cherry Blossom Festival. Um, as you may know, I used to live in Japan, and I speak Japanese. And, and, you know, I've always, we have great cherry trees and cherry blossom trees in Cincinnati. Um, but I was so hmm. looking forward to the festival in D.C. And while they didn't have that festival, I was able to view them. And obviously it wasn't very crowded uh, at that time last year in April. And um, a lot of the restaurants, started, it seems like what happened in Cincinnati also, doing outdoor dining. And so a lot of the streets 
um, became either pedestrian streets or outdoor dining streets or restaurants would move into the streets a little bit uh, to have more outdoor dining throughout the entire year. So it, it was kind of strange because I was hoping to get back to Cincinnati a little more often. And uh, because of the situation with COVID, obviously it wasn't safe to fly, and I would have to quarantine when I came back to my job. So um, I wasn't as aware of what was going on in Cincinnati during that time, and I wasn't used to what normal life would have been in D.C. So, you know, my experience was very light traffic, you know, great outdoor dining, and uh, so it was just very interesting. Um, I, I think that everyone did a great job, and I appreciate all the small businesses and folks that were working for the defense industrial base, you know, the ones that needed to stay open, that kept producing the products that we needed to do. That was just so critical. I had a chance to visit a, a few of our air bases during that year, and so um, that was good to see some of the technology that, that's being worked on and uh, that, that we're using within our military. No, any of that would be considered you effect? <laughs> you knew I was going to ask. <laughs> Wait, say that again? I said, were any of those UFOs? <laughs> I said you knew I was going to ask that's our conversation <laughs> the other day. Yeah, you know, yeah, well, may have a little a little story that you could divulge a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why I kicked off on alien autopsies because when people found out, you know, especially kids or teenagers that I was working for the Department of Defense, that always seemed to be the first question that they would ask is something regarding UFOs. Um, so I I, I have the the funny story of the alien autopsy room, but uh. But, but that would be uh, all that I'd have right there. But in D.C. too, when I first got there, my sister drove with me, and this was on March like, 13th, 14th when I was heading to D.C. And it is interesting because that Saturday we went to the Old Ebbett Grill, which is a very popular place in downtown D.C., and she was there to help me kind of move in, and then she's going to fly back to Cincinnati. And it was interesting, though, because while we were at the old Ebbett Grill, I guess the mayor of D.C. went through that she had a social distancing and was limiting the number of people that could be in a restaurant. So literally while we were there eating, all of a sudden we look around and the waste stuff was coming and physically removing tables. Um, and so that is something that I will always remember because that was definitely my, you know, my last meal before kind of everything changed. And, wow. um yeah, and then the next Monday is when I was supposed to be sworn in, and we actually, my whole family was coming that weekend, um, all my kids, and have a two of the Pentagon, have the swearing-in ceremony. Uh, you know, we had a, a lot planned, and so that had to be, obviously, we, we said it was postponed, but it was kind of postponed until never, uh, because things just didn't change uh, throughout the year. But um, yeah, it was still a very interesting time uh, to be in D.C. Well, hopefully, I mean, if, if it's something you maybe wish in the future, uh, who knows, hopefully you'll get another opportunity, uh, you know, to, to be able to work down there. You know, again, if that's something that you, you see in your future, because then you can have the real experience maybe. That's <laughs> what it actually is now that things are starting <laughs> to open up. Well, exactly. I was just there last week, and so I was able to actually meet in person quite a few people that I've worked with all year long that had only met through Zoom or on phone calls. 
And, you know, wow. it's, it's such an honor and a great thing to work on Cincinnati City Council, and I've been there total almost seven and a half years. And so, you know, it, it worked out. It was a good timing where I was able to leave and we were able to have an appointment for my seat and then go on it and have this opportunity in D.C. for the year. You know, and I always feel like no matter where I am, you know, I'm representing our city. I'm representing Cincinnati. I'm representing our state of Ohio. And, you know, doing the best I can for whether it's our city, state, or, you know, our, our federal government. And, you know, I encourage people out there, as you and I have talked, you know, anyone that's interested in public service, whether it's at the local level, in your community council, for your parent-teacher association, it's just so important to get involved. And you'll find that, you know, you get so much out of it also. Yeah, I mean, I'm certainly, you know, thinking about one, one of the things that's, you know, with the whole voting thing going on, we're not going to talk about that, of course, tonight, but, um, you know, I'm going to speak about you know, doing being a poll watcher, thing of that nature. I mean, I've done, um, I've been a precinct captain, you know, at voting polls and things of that nature, but I, I think, uh, and then maybe 2022, 24, I'm going to uh, do some, you know, poll watching. So, uh, I know you, you, know, you know, that, had a time with us. Oh, yeah. Hmm? I would I would encourage anyone if you call your board of elections wherever you are they always need workers at the polls um, from both parties to be there so that's critical that we have people that participate in that in that process. Yeah, certainly I'm certainly going to be you know working on that and I mean so what would you say you know wrapping up your year there not wrapping up I mean in, in all of your experience there for your year what would you say was either two things one maybe your favorite you know you know, personal thing that you hit that down there, you know, that you just enjoyed, and then maybe work-wise, something you, you got the most uh, satisfaction out of? You know, personal thing, I was able to meet some really interesting people and have some incredible experiences. One of the uh, people that I, I met with in defense uh, that, that I breakfast with and someone I worked with pretty frequently was an astronaut. And so to have the ability to work with someone that's been up at space, that's been up on the International Space Station, you know, is just oh, a, wow. a really great experience to be able to talk to them and get to know them and understand what they went through. So, um, you know, that, that was one of the greatest experiences of just some of the neat different types of old that I got to meet that I normally wouldn't get to meet here. And then what was the second part of the question? And then in your position itself, what, was, what would you find that was most satisfying, you know, satisfactory for you? You got the most satisfaction out of part of your work. Yeah. Um, you know, I think what it was is with small businesses during COVID, it was really hard for people to get information. And so having come from a city council and an elected position, I was very used to social media, whether it was Twitter or Facebook or web pages. And so our small business webpage in an average month would have about 50,000 views, but we needed to have more than that because we needed people to really be able to see everything that was happening real time. So with our department, we really upped our game with social media so that people could get information that they needed the second that they needed it. And so our web views went up from 50,000 to about 270,000 a month. And so, you know, for me, that was a great personal satisfaction because I wanted to make sure that people got what they needed and that they felt like they could reach the Department of Defense Small Business Office and that we were there to help them. And so for me, that was really rewarding that we were able to make that type of change and reach that many people during a time of crisis. 
Yeah, I'm real big. Uh, you, you may or may not know into the space program. I'm really excited about, you know, the Artemis program. I'm hoping that's still, uh, you know, is moving forward. Supposedly it still is, you know, uh, 2024, getting, you know, being on Mars, I mean, the moon, and then 2030, hopefully, uh, being on Mars. And, I mean, one of the people I'd love to interview, think about the space station, he has uh, Senator Kelly, you know, because he was there for mm-hmm. a year. There was even a documentary on Netflix, I think, uh, that I watched. So I'd love to get him on the show, that's for certain. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I'm reading his book right now. So he wrote a book on his year at the space station, and so I'm just in the middle mm-hmm. of it right now. So it is very interesting, and I find everything, you know, reading as many books as I can about, you know, whether it's the Air Force, the Space Force, the DRG, I just find them very compelling and interesting. And uh, so – you know, I have been, been reading up on those books, but I'm in the very middle of Mark Kelly's Yeah, it was a pretty neat documentary. I mean, each episode was like, you know, 15, 20 minutes or something like that. So it was, it's good sitting down when you when you had time for lunch between uh, – on your lunch break. <laughs> because I was working, you know, working from home. I was doing a lot of working from home myself. Um, that's that, that's going to yeah. end soon. But, you know, but – now, well, uh, was, you know, I know we – you know, I pre- go ahead. Oh, it was interesting when I was first at the Pentagon and walking and getting familiar in the basement, I ran across offices that were the Space Force offices. So I thought, oh, in the, in the basement of the Pentagon, that's about as far away as, as you could be from space. But part mm-hmm. of the Pentagon, you know, all, all the space is, is pretty much used. But while I was there, Space Force got moved up one floor above exactly where I was. So it was kind of uh, uh-huh. interesting one day when they were, you know, steering in that whole new floor and putting up the displays and had a big ceremony. So that was very interesting to see and, and just to, to look at all the displays all on our space course. Yeah, and, uh, but a lot of people, um, when they were brought up the emblem for the space, uh, space force, is they, uh, you know, it's, it looks a lot like the Star Trek emblem, you know, the, the alpha from the, the Star Trek emblem. And so a lot of folks actually think that the uh, the Space Force got their, their emblem from Star Trek, and, and I guess in a way they did, but the people who created Star Trek actually got that emblem from like an, an old version of the – it wasn't the Space Force, but it was like an old version of, of what the Space Force was. And they actually had something similar to that, and that's actually where Star Trek got that emblem from. <laughs> I was not aware of that. <laughs> it's also well, I'm, I'm a big tracky, so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I have to I'm say, a, my, um, big... my, uh, my uh, second cousin did a documentary documentary called Trekkies. Uh, I don't know, ten or fifteen years ago. So you'll have to look at that someday, also. Oh, was that actually? I think I might have seen that. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's I had a license plate that said on it when I was younger. Yeah, yeah. So my my uh, second cousin did that. So, uh, but that's about my experience with Star Trek. Trekkies. So it was a documentary on people that love Star Trek and go to the different shows and exhibits and things like that and dress up and. Um, so it was very interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Small, small world, because I did watch that. I did watch that documentary. <laughs> That's a <big> small world. <laughs> yeah, I have, yes, I have seen that, yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I got to meet well, Bob Shatner get... a few times. Uh, that was pretty cool. Yes. <laughs> That's great. So, so well, I really you know, appreciate few... your... 
Oh, go ahead. No, as you say, yeah, we only got a few minutes here, and um, certainly appreciate all your time, and hope to uh, get you back on the show. Would be um, I can't wait to find out what uh, what you're going to be doing next. Uh, but if there's anything else you'd like to impart before you you got to go from uh, for this evening, again, I really appreciate you you coming back on the show. We certainly like to have you back on again. No, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for asking me. Happy to be back on again, figuring out what the next steps are going to be. But, um, you know, I just encourage everyone, as we said, that we were talking, get involved however you can, whether it's with sort of elections or in your own life. You know, when I started off in politics, I hadn't been involved at all and, you know, ran for Cincinnati City Council. And, you know, we need good people to be out there running and, and good people to be out there supporting people um, that are running for office and trying to uh, protect our rights and values. Yeah, we certainly do, and uh, again, I'm not going to get political tonight, at least not on this section. Um, yeah, we <laughs> certainly need a, a, a lot of good folks. We've been, we've have been interviewing some some other candidates. We got one next week um, that mm-hmm. looking forward to to doing. But yeah, we definitely need people out there who you know patriotic Americans being you know, willing to serve. Absolutely. Well, thank you for all you're doing. It's so good talking with you again. You too. Take care and. Uh, We'll email or, or chat soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks so much. Oh, you're welcome. Take care. And thank you very much, uh, folks. Uh, that was uh, Amy Murray. She was uh, director of for the Small Office uh, Business Program for the Trump Department of Defense. Uh, you can read more about her on the, here on Blog Talk Radio uh, on the site. Uh, we've had her on when she actually was running for city council. So you could go far back into the archives and see her, um, you know, and, and listen to her then, even when she was running for city council. Uh, and so that, that that would always be kind of fun to hear her then and, you know, and then be able to listen to her now. Uh, so it would be great to have her on the show. Hopefully, I, mean, I personally, you know, would like to see her run for something again. Uh, she did at one point run for lieutenant uh, governor with uh, a guy running for Governor Renacci. Uh Maybe I'm hoping he kind of – it runs again, uh, so because we certainly need somebody to get rid of our government. We, he's a Republican, but he's a Republican in name only. Uh, I mean, he's, he, he acts more like a Democrat than he does a Republican. Uh, but let's go ahead and um, bring in our panelist, Joseph. Uh, Joseph Bell's an you know, interesting interview. Uh, maybe one day we'll talk with, uh, politics with her again because that's always fun too. But I definitely enjoyed hearing her experience uh, in Washington, D.C., and then, you know, working, you know, with the Trump administration, I have a feeling that if it wasn't for COVID, uh, we, would ha- we would have had a lot more interesting stories uh, that she would have been able to impart on us. Uh, that is correct. Uh, on one note, uh, just between us, uh, hold your horses on 2024, because I think after 2022, uh, you're going to be uh, a pretty busy person based on your political expertise that we will be serving a really worthy cause and campaign. So don't jump to 2024 yet. Every time you do that, you kind of give me uh, a good, um, well, I, I, <laughs> you kind of get me scared. I don't want anyone uh, trying to acquisition you. So uh, I'll just leave it well, at no, that. I, no, I don't, think you have to, I don't think you have to worry about that. <laughs> I've been doing this for uh, 2012. Next year will be about a right. decade, so if it's if it's ought to you know to move to do other things, I'm certainly you know open to that certainly. Um, so I wouldn't um, we'll alleviate your concerns, but I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about that. 
<laughs> I appreciate that. So uh, I was walking the other day, and um, finally Walmart has uh, lifted the restrictions and Best Buy and Target and Sam's and Costco's. And uh, a lot of the malls in North Carolina and 48 other states have lifted the restrictions on no longer having to wear the masks indoors as mandatory. Um, and in the state of North Carolina, uh, they lifted the restrictions on wearing out outdoor masks over a month ago. So it, 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 it felt really great uh, to, um, to actually once again have that freedom. It felt so great, you know, the little things that we take for granted. Um, it felt really great to have that uh, freedom again. But what really disturbed me uh, – Hold on one second, Robert. Just bear with me just for one second. No, no, that's fine because uh, on, on here in Ohio, mentioning Ohio, I mean, yeah, the outside mandate, um, they've, lo- they've you know, loosened some indoors. Uh, I know some employers who are still making people who are unvaccinated uh, wear a mask inside the building uh, where they work. I know some businesses are doing that. Uh, you know, I've got some other information that, that I found out just today uh, that was a little disturbing um, where someone, you know, they had some health issues, uh, but, you know, that, you know, but it was it said that they would have been declined uh, because they had other health, if, if, if they had, because they had other health issues, if they were to uh, not take the the uh, the COVID vaccine, then they would be turned down actually for a life insurance policy. So I found that was kind of that was kind of disturbing to me today uh, when I heard that. Um, so I was like, this "Wow, is completely well, absurd." Correct. It, mm-hmm. It's it's absurd. But what really disturbs me even more is yesterday was the anniversary of. George Floyd and what happened. Oh, yeah. And I can't believe that all of our U.S. embassies hung a flag displaying Black Lives Matter. Oh, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Exactly. It's like, oh, my God. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. I I, I can't believe that is the message that the so-called free leader of the world is is sending. to everyone, and no wonder why our enemies are more emboldened. They read that as weakness in this so-called summit that he's going to have with Putin. I mean, Biden doesn't have a spine in him. Um, so, I mean, under well, President Trump, yeah, he held. Uh, go ahead. But yet Trump was a yeah. But yet Trump was a Russian asset. Go ahead. That that burns my backside. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He yes. Uh, the Russian collusion and all of that. Uh, in reality, Trump was very firm with Russia. Trump was very well, yeah. firm with China, Iran. He was firm with our enemies. He didn't cower. He didn't try to appease them. And with all due respect, if people remember back in October of 2016 during the presidential debates uh, when then-President Trump was candidate Trump with Hillary, and President Trump brought up the issue of election meddling, and Hillary laughed it off and said, um, more along the lines, I'm not quoting verbatim, but more or less said, uh, there goes Trump thinking that uh, a foreign 
uh, government could uh, interfere with the elections. He's just saying that because he knows he can't win. And that came out of the mouth of Hillary Clinton, former uh, first lady, former senator of New York, uh, former presidential nominee. Uh, and, 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 And so the hypocrisy to then turn the table and for four years make the case that uh, Russia meddled with our elections and that's why Donald Trump became president, it's it's hogwash. They've never proven the case. It's never been proven. And the final conclusion was Russia had nothing to do in any way, shape, or form with electing President Trump. And what the polls didn't get, because the polls – have an idea more or less because they are conducting surveys and interviews with potential voters prior to election day, except for the exit polls, where they interview voters on uh, what, what was the most important issues as to why they voted for a certain candidate. What happened in 2016 was a lot of mainstream America, especially patriots who are not Democrats or Republicans or really don't have themselves affiliated with the party or really we're not even political, but we're just tired of 30 and 40 years of oppression by both parties being told to silence, uh, being, being censored, um, you know, the voice of the voiceless. They finally said, you know, we're coming out and we're going to vote for Trump because for once this is the candidate that's speaking our lingo and we're tired of riding in the back of a bus. We're tired of being demonized. We're tired of being the voice of the voiceless. We've, and, and a lot of them were never political. Never, a lot of them were in their 30s and 40s, never voted in a presidential election. But they came out overwhelmingly for Trump in 2016. And so Trump brought back prestige and honor to our country, which for eight years, Obama and Biden did a very good job of tainting that tainting what makes America great. And I always tell people, the left and our enemies loved Obama and Biden because they hated America so much and their profound Mm -hmm. hate for America that they didn't hesitate to convey. And our enemies and the left hate Trump because of his profound love for our country, for always putting our country first above political parties always putting America first, and for his love for his country is what compelled 81 million voters, more people who came out than in 2016 to say, you know what, our country needs a lot more of President Trump. We need country above party. This is what we've needed for a very long time. Look, I've been on this show for almost nine years. And almost anyone who's a loyal listener to the show or panelist knows that I was a never-Trumper, that I campaigned for Ted Cruz. I was a never-Trumper, not because I had any personal hatred for him. Of course not. Why would I? But I did not take him as a serious candidate or think he had what it took to be elected in the highest office in the world, which is the presidency of the United States. And I had to see, to believe with my own eyes that everything he promised, not only did he strive and achieve it, he went above and beyond it selflessly. And him and his family were demonized for it on a daily basis. I say more 
than any other Republican president in history, 10 times worse than oh, yeah, the demonization of George W. Bush and Cheney. Right, Robert? Would you agree? 100%. No, and what was agree. his crime? Yeah. And what was his crime? He wanted to drain the swamp. He wanted to get rid of hacks like Liz Cheney and Mitt Romney and Mitch McConnell, who for years have led the GOP into failure and into disrespecting the voters and into loathing the voters. And yes, let's remind conservatives that compassionate conservatism did not work. If anything, it made conservatives too soft, which made it very easy for Democrats to gain back control of the presidency, the Senate, and the House back in 08. If anything, George W. Bush and the Cheney legacy paved the way for Barack Obama and Joe Biden, beyond a shadow of a doubt. And what, what's more discontenting is that George W. Bush, what I respected about him and Cheney, is that they did what most presidents did after they left office. They didn't opine. They kept their mouths shut. They lived their private lives. They moved on. And George W. Bush did a great job of doing that, even though – uh, Obama said a lot of hateful things about him in the election, including saying the race card, right? Mm-hmm. But when Jebby, Jeb Bush, ran for president thinking he could get elected, I mean, geez, I guess the consultants really ripped him off. He must be naive and gullible because he should have known better. God, he could have hired me pro bono, and I would have told him for just for free. I would have said, uh, I don't think people want dynasties anymore. Whether it's a no. Bush or a Clinton, they're not looking for dynasties anymore. So I, I don't know what these consultants are brainwashing you to believe you have a chance, but don't run. Save yourself the heartache. And in reality, if you can't take the heat out of the kitchen, look, Trump threw the punches. Jebby couldn't take it, low-energy Jeb. And the Bushes took offense to that. But to throw your country under the bus? Just to spite Donald Trump, it really shows their true colors because conservatives have been saying this for months. Where is the condemnation from George W. Bush and Cheney about Biden? You won't hear a peep, but you'll see private photos of the Obamas cozying up to the Bushes. And I'm like, really, have you sold your soul to the devil? I mean – coming from the same guy who called you guys a bunch of racists and Nazis and, and warmongers and all that. Have you really sold your soul to the devil, and are you willing to give up your country because you have a beef with Trump that you can't get over, like a two-year-old child who can't admit that he lost playing in the sandbox with another two-year-old? And yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the ultimate litmus test to show who are real American patriots? And you know what? The Bushes have done a good job of conning America into believing that they were true patriots all along. Now, it would not be fair of me to condemn George H.W. Bush because he's not alive. And he was not alive when Biden stole the election where I could criticize him fairly or not unfairly. Based on you know him just being silent and basically not calling out the Biden administration and what they're doing, so that wouldn't be fair. But if you think about it, guys, he did try to run for president 
1980 uh, in the Republican nom- uh, you know, primaries. He did lose, and if it wasn't for Reagan choosing him as VP, he would have his political future would have ended as a, just congressman. Truth be told, you know, it was kind of like Reagan took him like a little dog by the side, and so people always think George H. W. Bush was this great president. Lord Almighty, he wasn't even a great vice president, and I'm just basing him on the facts. What did he really do? He really wasn't proactive. Uh, Reagan chose him for whatever his reasons were, but Reagan basically, you know, took the dog by the collar. And if it wasn't for Reagan, he'd be forever known as Congressman uh, George H. W. Bush. And so we're starting to see the real colors. And also, Mitt Romney is the first Republican senator to want to have an inquiry into January 6th. And it just shows you, at the end of the day, they have no substance. They have no platform. They're hated in, by their own constituents. And so they're just expressing their outrage and anger and showing that they have the emotional maturity of a five-year-old. And their obsession with Trump, they can't let it go. They're obsessed, just like the left is obsessed. It's an obsession. It's a sickness. It really is. It's sad. It's pathetic. But it really is a sickness. They are obsessed infatuated with, you know, bombarding Trump, constantly making his name more relevant, even though he's out of office. They just can't get over it. You get it? They can't move on. And that's a problem. When our elected leaders have lost complete control of their actions, they can no longer maintain their composure, their professionalism, or they are no longer willing to con- to swear and do the will of their constituents, that is a, a sign that says, you got to go. There's the door. Don't let it kick you in the derriere. You got to go. And if you don't go, we'll either primary you, we'll vote you out, or we'll call you out. But you know what? This is your cue to get out. Because I am tired of people trying to attack our country and trying to demonize our country and disenfranchise American patriots. But you know what? They're hypocrites because those same people who say we're a horrible country, well, if it's so horrible, like I said last week on your show, then why don't you get the hell out? Why don't you live in France? Why don't you live in Germany, these countries that you want to model America after? Jeez, look at the statistics. Many European migrants over the past 30 years have left those countries to come to the United States for many reasons, including saying that socialism does not work. There's no way to pay for it in the long term. It leads to bankruptcy. Uh, Greece and Italy is the proof in the pudding. Enough is enough. Put your money where your mouth is or get out of this country. I am at this point where I am fed up of people who want to bash this country and yet but they're hypocrites for not leaving this country. And I'll leave you with one more fact. The reality is if they love France and they love the European model so much, why don't they go there and cross the border? Is it because they know that they would be deported within 48 hours? Is it because they know if they were to ask for a visa, oh, I love your country so much, they wouldn't even give them the time of day? They'd be like, no, we were not affording you a visa. 
unless you are a multimillionaire that can contribute a lot of taxes or bring corporations over. They won't give him the time of day. So, ladies and gentlemen, you want to bash this great country? If you hate it so much, get the hell out. Don't want to hear you anymore. I don't want to hear the whining. Pull your pants up. Grow up. Don't like it. Hey, there's a lot of other countries that you espouse and you claim are greater than ours. Then put your money where your mouth is and get the hell out because this Memorial Day I am going to honor a long-time tradition, a very staple tradition and holiday in our country, marking the beginning of the summer. I love my country. Yes, we have our flaws like any other country, but make no mistake, we are the greatest country in the world. And don't ask me. It's not just coming from American patriots. Ask the millions of immigrants who have legally come to this country every year and you ask them, what is the main reason why they're here? And they will tell you, because we also believe, like Americans who were born here, that this is the greatest country in the world. And it's not coming from just American patriots. It's coming from the millions of immigrants who waited their turn in line, who didn't cross the border illegally, who came here legally, proud to be in this country and grateful and if you were to ask them, they're not afraid to tell you. And I defer back to you, Robert. Well, and I'm going to defer to uh, our callers, as I have the want to do. And let's go ahead and uh, uh, bring in uh, Bianchi. Thank you very much, Bianchi, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. Had a couple of things to talk on it. You know, I was looking at uh, yesterday was the commemoration of George Floyd annual killing, and there at uh, I guess it's tenth in Chicago is the intersection they had built a memorial. I guess you've seen it yourself, but did you see where you had a news crew there with camera when news reporter was had his back to the memorial? And, talking to the camera and you can see behind him people start running. Then next thing you know you hear gunshots about a rain of six, then another rain of seven to eight, then boom, boom, boom. <laughs> so he looked around once, the the guy was on camera. And then he looked around a second time, he took off, he was no longer in the view of the camera. It goes to show you the type of violence that goes on in that community. And I'm really embarrassed that uh, the U.S. Embassy had flags flown at half staff for oh, that individual. And then there's another article where a resident that lives near, if not in the vicinity, close by, had a domestic dispute. And apparently her male partner, I don't know if it was her husband, beat her up pretty bad. She called the, the police, called 911, and the dispatcher told her, well, can you go down to another location, which is about maybe a block away, two blocks. And she did in order to meet the police because the police will not come up and 
that vicinity. And not only that, when they got through talking to her, they only took her within a certain distance, and they said, you got to get out of here. So is that police reform? Is that what they call police reform? Because they are reacting to the reality. If they go in the area, we know what's going to happen. It kind of reminds me of Detroit when the news was about people's water being cut off. Some of them not paid their bill, and we don't know what the reasons for it. Some of them may have been legitimate people with in dire straits and so forth. But one thing that I remember police were stationed at an intersection and people who were driving their cars to go down this particular street, they would warn them. Proceed at your own risk. Then, you know these points and details never end. You had the NAACP in St. Louis issue a travel warning after you've had two justified shootings by police officers of black subjects. They issued a travel warning to black motorists, kind of similar like with Laurie Lightfoot, the openly gay black first black gay mayor for the city of Chicago, put out a decree that she would only do the interviews with black reporters. One right. Yeah, that's not so racist then, at all. <laughs> oh, well, you know, depends on but the NAACP issued a travel warning for the state of Missouri, said you likely could be killed, shot and killed by white police. Now, that's, that's not me putting, adding words nor taking anything away. But where's the travel warning on Chicago? Where the latest count is uh, May the 24th, a year running, you have 4,772 blacks shot by other blacks with 737 murders. Where's the travel warning? You hear the hypocrisy and the black privilege that exists, and nobody calls them out, calls them to the floor on that. And that's what pisses me off. You know, If I do something that's notorious, if you do something that's notorious, it's not that who's doing it, like the news media makes it, the act was a notorious thing we done. But these people get away with everything. Look at LeBron James. He broke league rules. He didn't get suspended. And some former players complained about that. What the heck's going on? Maybe you can explain to me a little bit better than I've been able to determine. Well, and that's a question uh, we can have posed by Kelly to get Kelly to the show. Uh, Kelly, what's uh, your thoughts on those? And then I'll uh, chime in, of course, and then we'll bring uh, an article that I wanted to uh, uh, bring up uh, tonight. Uh, but first, go ahead, Kelly. Well, we're kind of on the topic of the police, et cetera. And uh, I really think the jury got it right with the uh, the George Floyd situation, so because I generally trust the jury. Um, of course, there will be appeals, and who knows what riots that will create. But uh, I want to communicate what it ought to be like. I live in a small town here, Wairika, California, 
about a half hour south of the Oregon border. We have a new chief of police, Mark Gillum, or Gilman. Uh, he's replacing Dave Gamash, the present chief of police. I knew Dave Gamash. He was a client I did a foundation design for him years ago for a mobile home. And uh, the paper commented about Dwayne Kidd. Oh, I know, Dale. I know Dwayne. He comes to the homeless shelter committee meeting sometimes. How can we help? Oh, another city council member, Paul McCoy, in his personal capacity, is helping to build, as in, you know, run a hammer, run a saw. And so uh, it's a small town feel, obviously. And the police, you can get to know them. They're approachable. You just talk with them. And, uh, now, Mark Gilman, he what, did work for YPD for 26 years, then he retired. He did some things in the private sector for a while, and I think he was probably urged by a number of locals, hey, you know, Dave Gamash, the present chief of police, can't serve anymore. So Mr. Gilman probably just jumped right in and uh, trying to serve the people. And so well-respected, all that kind of stuff, and that's the way it ought to be. I mean, local... Local folk has been one of the big drives for hiring sheriffs. Uh, Sheriff Lopey did that, and even his predecessors, they were making sure to hire locals and, and raise them up in the ranks because there's something about local. I mean, when we get – oh, we've had some big city people hired here like L.A., and they have such an attitude, it's terrible. But locals know locals, and uh, we just uh, – the thin blue line uh, signs are – on a number of businesses all over town. And uh, I I would guess the local police and sheriff have probably a 70 or 80% approval rating. Um, and I think that's the way it ought to be. You know, I really like small towns. It's got a lot of benefits. It might be a little boring uh, compared to what you can do in a big city, but, but at least, uh, you know, it's kind of a, that's just the way it ought to be. Um, and it, it doesn't break down into a we versus them thing. There was a Justice for George Floyd rally last June here, and it went off peaceful. In fact, the cops here <laughs> talked to one of the officers here, and basically they had more trouble telling the rednecks to stand down because a bunch of rednecks are calling up, hey, can we, you know, there's a rally going on, and we don't know what's going to happen, but can we help the police? And the police are like, no, we got this. We got this. Okay, just just back down. We got this. <laughs> so, you know, and the community comes out to support the police. That's just the way it ought to be. Because if we don't have law enforcement, we're living in civil chaos. We can't live our lives in peace. So I would hope law enforcement from all over the nation would adopt that simple policy of Hire locals first because, um, you know, locals have friends, friends in the community. <clears throat> um, we're just in church with Officer Smith. My first meeting with him, he's YPD. For a while I called him Agent Smith, <clears throat> but I beat him in a traffic ticket because he forgot to write on the ticket the probable cause. <laughs> so the judge dismissed it, and uh, I need the judge too, Judge Lawrence. It's like, hey, why are you doing this? Oh, never mind. <laughs> so he dismissed the case. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm standing up for my rights, due process rights. You know, and 
he he did a little trick as judge. He's like holding the um, arraignment hearings for speeding tickets. And uh, well, let's see, we can set the trial for December 26th, the day after Christmas, or we can go into January, these dates in January. So pretty soon people were asking, well, that's the day after Christmas. Yes, we're going to have court the day after Christmas. Well, if the officer doesn't show up, is my case dismissed? Yes, the day after Christmas, you show up, he doesn't, your case is dismissed. <laughs> it's kind of cute how he's advising him because he was a defense attorney. Now he's a judge. And, you know, this is a small town dynamics. are just so really cool sometimes. And uh, you know, it, it, it breaks the we versus they when you're community. And uh, I did a uh, – there happened to be a local YPD pulled somebody over one I don't know, Friday night. I walked the store and back. I see them, you know, they're flashers, and they're talking with somebody. I mean, they, they'd rather talk with somebody than wrestle them down and tackle them. But the, um, this is a quick film, you know. Hey, these guys are keeping things safe and peaceful. And I had instantly had, like, in the last couple of days, like five, 600 views of that video. I think it was even 700 views. And I just say, you know, they're doing their job. Why don't you guys you see them around town, wave high, you know, shake their hand, tell them you appreciate them. And, uh, so Officer Smith, back to the guy, that him and his wife sing in church. And uh, I've heard that he, uh, when things are slow, he in the wintertime, he would scoop the uh, sidewalk of a uh, elderly lady, scoop the snow off. It's it's that localness that breaks the we versus they. And it, and it, so, but yeah, we have our problems. We, we've got a lot of homeless. we got some meth heads and some other idiots, but um, you know, it's it's nice to be in a small town. So let's see, there's some election integrity update things. I don't know if you want to talk about that later. Well, yeah, we 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 got plenty of time. Uh, I want to address uh, a few things here. You know, about yesterday, and is is one thing that really concerns me. You know, again, with all, you know, around our nation, and not only our government, because we, we, we know what our government is right now. We know what it is. Um, and one, if we don't want to admit this, but America is a, is a nation in decline. It, we really are. We are in decline. Whenever you have a country or a nation that – Celebrate and make here makes heroes out of criminals. Because let's be honest, yes, what you know, you, you know, we all know what happened, and we all got our you know thoughts and opinions on that. But the fact of the matter remains, the guy was a criminal. And when you hold up a nation, holds up a criminal as a hero, that's dangerous. I mean, what are we telling our children and grandchildren? You know, that, I mean, they're, they're talking about George Floyd's legacy. I mean, the man put a gun to a pregnant woman's belly. How can someone who does that be held up as a hero? That's dangerous. 
We are in dangerous times. And Robert, I think that's the stark contrast between liberals and conservatives. That's the stark contrast, one of many. And that's including we do everything to honor our country and honor our heroes. We don't do, we don't honor our criminals, our villains, and our enemies. And the left does that perfectly because the left seeks to destroy America. They seek to destroy us as a constitutional republic. They are the real enemies, like the movie Sleeping with the Enemy. They are our enemies, and not just because they're liberals or the left. I would call anyone an enemy who's telling me that our way of life is no good, and therefore we have to change it. When do we start honoring criminals and painting them as heroes? Are you kidding me? Are they high on marijuana? Have they lost their minds? And real Americans, they see through this every day, and Americans are getting more disgusted with this. Well, I hope so. I hope you're right on that. <laughs> oh, believe me, they are. They are. I'll give you an example. So in the city of Austin, which the demographics have changed, it's the most liberal city in Texas. Eighty percent of residents there who are registered are Democrats. So back in 2019, uh, a Democratic uh, city council passed the ordinance in Austin allowing tent encampment and homeless people to build tents around the state capital. And over the past two years, homelessness has increased by 20%. Crime has increased by 30%. Uh, you have uh, kids finding needles in the middle of the streets. And for the very first time, 40% of registered Democrats agreed with Republicans and Libertarians and said, we need to reinstate this ban because it is affecting the quality of life in Austin. And they came together and unanimously voted last month to reinstate the ordinance that bans any tent encampments anywhere around uh, the state capitol or even in the parks. And Kelly can attest to this because we have a uh, a homeless tent problem also in Hawaii, also in California, also in Portland, uh, and, and, it, and it affects the quality of life. And the left embraces this because they, they seek the destruction of our country. And I would argue, Robert, that we are at our most vulnerable point in the history of our constitutional republic. Never has our country been more in peril of losing everything we have fought hundreds of years to preserve. And at the end of the day, for the very first time, and, and I'm, I'm sure Kelly could attest to this, they actually, when they did the census, they came out with the numbers and saying, for the first time in 170 years, the population in California has decreased. That's because people are fleeing states like California, New York, Illinois. Michigan, Wisconsin, they're fleeing like crazy because they're trying to get away from these liberal strongholds that have destroyed these 
what used to be meccas. It used to be if you can make it in California, you can make it anywhere. If you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. If you can make it in Chicago, you can make it anywhere. You know, if you can make it in Detroit, the mecca of GM, you can make it anywhere. Now, after 40, 50 years of liberals calling the shots, they've run these cities into the ground. People have every right to want to flee and say, we don't want this for our family. We don't feel safe in these cities. We don't feel that our children is safe. We want to go to states that are allowing our children to be back in the classrooms because the longer that our kids cannot be back in the classrooms, we are doing a disservice to our future generations. And look at states like Florida. Look at states like Tennessee. Look at states like Texas. Look at states like Iowa, South Dakota. Uh, Look at states uh, like uh, uh, Utah. They are all leading the country in uh, rebounding with the economy uh, and cutting taxes and regulation and having low cost of living and deflation, having one of the highest quality of life than any other states. Even Ron DeSantis is offering a $1,000 bonus to any new police officer that wants to make their way into Florida and serve and protect. Uh, Governor Noma is doing the same thing in South Dakota, incentivizing police officers who feel disenfranchised in these blue states to come on to greener pastures. So the proof is in the pudding over there. So at the end of the day, for once, Democrats found common ground in the city of Austin in saying we can't allow these encampments anymore. They're affecting the quality of life. And for once, on a nonpartisan basis, voters were able to get together and vote for what they thought was right for their city of of Austin's, or as they call themselves, Austinites. And that is going to be the big battle in 2022. It's the red states versus the blue states. And in the majority of the red states, not all, as you pointed out earlier with Ohio, Ohio's governor is an embarrassment, but most red states are outperforming blue states, and most people who left blue states in droves are moving to red states because they want to go to a place that has a quality of life, that has a great quality of life. They want to go to a place where their children are going to be safe. They want to go to a, a state that, is gonna, uh, uh, that has the classrooms back open again. They want to go to a state that's going to cut regulation and cut taxes and balance their budget. They want to go to a state that is better managed by Republicans than Democrats, that's not run into the ground. And I think that is the real civil war that is brewing, red states against blue states. And that is what we take into 2022 and 2024. I personally had to leave paradise. I lived in Honolulu for many years. I loved it. Despite its flaws and despite being the third state with the highest homeless population, number two is California, number one is New York, I left it to move on to greener pastures because the draconian lockdown measures, which destroyed the entire economy of Hawaii, which is a population of 1.4 million, forced my hand and left me with no other choice. I had to leave. I didn't want to leave, but with no economy, with no jobs, you can't survive. That's just the reality of the matter. And here I am in the great state of North Carolina. And let me tell you something. I'm a lot happier over here. Uh, We have one of the best roaring economies. 
and I think 2020 ranked Dallas and Charlotte as the fastest growing cities in the country. And we want to make sure in Charlotte that we don't become the next New York. We don't become the next Chicago. We don't become the next Detroit. We don't become the next L.A. We don't become the next San Francisco. We don't become the next Honolulu. We don't become the next blue city that's being run into the ground. We don't want to become like Austin. And let me tell you, I'll say one more thing, and I'll defer back. Texas is leaning closer and closer to leaving the red column and becoming a blue state. If Republicans don't do their job in the state of Texas and the Republican Party of Texas fails to lose that state. Donald Trump only carried Texas by six points. By far, he should have carried it by a much larger margin. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a wake-up call that Texas is getting that close to going into the blue column if state Republicans and conservatives in that state don't hold their ground. California has the largest Republican Party in the whole country, but yet they are one of the eight states that are Democratic trifectas. And they're one of the strongest states with the liberal strongholds. How does that even make sense, Robert? The largest Republican Party, but don't have any majorities in the state. Don't call the shots. And in all fairness, they have not run California into the ground. It's been liberals. And I commended Kelly last week and Suzette and other panelists who lives in California. You guys got more guts than New Yorkers. You have more guts than the people in Michigan. You have more guts than the people in Hawaii. I'll tell you why. Because they haven't had the fortitude to even say, let's try to recall our governors. Californians have. I give you credit. And if anyone in those well, states well, take offense. Well, I heard that. Oh, well, I heard that's losing steam. I heard now that things are opening up that, that uh, Kelly can attest more than I can, but I, I heard that that's losing steam. I hear that it's not losing steam whatsoever. I yeah, yeah, can probably clarify that, that but from what I hear, it's, it's not losing steam because Californians don't trust Newsom. Even with the restrictions getting looser, the economy is not getting better. That's why for the first time in 170 years, the census reported that California has decreased in population. No, no, no. They're going to hold his feet to the fire. He's going to go through that recall election whether they like it or not. The question is, is it going to be another liberal? Or are the Californians that are still there are going to be smart enough and have the fortitude to say, we need to hand over the reins back to the Republican Party? Liberalism has made California into what it is today, a disaster. We need to hand over the reins. Because like I said, all the people who have left California already in droves they want nothing to do with California. They've moved on to different red states, and they're politically participating in those systems. And by the way, this myth that if people leave a liberal stronghold, they're bringing their leftist policies, well, all the stats show that's not true. But actually, many loyal Democrats are disgusted with the party and cannot believe that they threw them under the bus and ended their livelihoods. And a lot of those disaffected Democrats that have moved on to red states 
are now registered Republicans, and they're not bringing their liberal policies there. No, they have escaped from the liberal policies that have destroyed their livelihoods. They're now becoming Republicans, conservatives, and free market capitalists. And I'll defer back to you, and uh, maybe Kelly can give some light on the Newsom recall, but I've been paying very close attention to it, and they have the signatures. Newsom has to go through the recall whether he likes it or not. It's not a process that can be arbitrarily stopped at this point. The question is, are the remaining Californians going to hold, their, hold the line and say enough is enough? We need to elect a Republican back into the governorship. I pray they do. Because like I said on your show, if they do not, I don't have sympathy for those who are currently suffering in these blue states and have not decided to leave. And on top of not deciding to leave, continue to allow liberals to be voted into power. You will not have my sympathy. But ladies and gentlemen, if you are an American patriot who lived in a blue state because that was your circumstance, that's where you were born and raised, and you were driven away by Democrats, drunken on power, who tried to destroy your livelihoods or destroyed your livelihoods and you were forced to move on to greener pastures, you have my sympathy. And I'll defer back to you. Kelly, if you want to answer to any of that, go ahead. Well, yeah, the Governor Newsom, I'm sorry, Governor Newsom, um, yeah, the recall's going forward, and it'll be a special election. I've already seen ads from uh, some gubernatorial candidates that are Republicans. Actually, no one. Uh, Cheryl Blychester, she's been on the show before. It'd be fun to get her on the show again. She's not running to win. She's running to make a point. And uh, she's extremely intelligent. I'd love to see her be governor. Uh, I think the current front runner would be uh, Caitlyn Jenner. And uh, that could be... That could be the ticket to win simply because, oh, he's a gender-neutral guy. Oh, yay, yay. And the Democrats are voting for him, and they don't even know why. But he's highly conservative in many, many aspects. (laughs) So, you know, he might have to tell the assembly, uh, you know, don't be spending so darn much money and let's send some of these social programs. I mean, assuming he still has some kahunas um, or she – Anyway, uh, yeah, the state's kind of a mess, but um, there's a high probability that the recall will be successful and we'll get somebody else. Why? Because it's a special election, which means if you're just really angry and frustrated with Newsom, be it you're a Democrat or a Republican or Libertarian like me, if you're frustrated, you're going to get out and vote if you don't really care. Because special elections don't have a very high turnout. So the passionate ones that want to get rid of them are going to show up, and then we'll see. And the ballot will be something like this. Should Governor Newsom be called? Should he be recalled, yes or no? If the recall is successful, who would you vote for? And then you vote for a candidate. Okay, so that's the way it works. Um, But, yeah, it's – the Republican Party isn't so strong in California anymore, just from the voter registration stats. Uh, the number one party is still the Democrats. Number two is NPP. It's not really a party. It's a polit- political preference, which is no party preference. That's the number two party, and then you have 
the Republicans coming in third place, and then, of course, the Libertarians. And the Libertarian Party is actually growing. They had a state convention here a few weeks ago, and uh, I didn't make it because it was way – I'd have to drive about 10 hours to make it there. Um, but, yeah, that party's growing. Where is it going to go? I don't know. It depends on the leadership. The statewide leadership, I've heard rumors, is not so good. In the Republican Party, the Republican Party leadership not so good. It's possible that they've been infiltrated by Democrats, or at least that was a rumor I heard. So that's an interesting dynamic. Um, locally here in Siskiyou County, we used to be mostly Democrat, uh, farmers, ranchers, loggers, and you know workers, the unions for workers, and Democrats, the party for the workers. Um, but they have since switched big time to Republicans. You know, I remember a few years ago, there was actually Democrats in the party, uh, in the county. You know, they would be there at the county fair. And I figured, let's go talk to both sides. And, uh, but just kind of in the rural areas, I mean, geographically, most of California is rural. You got the Sierras. Which is obviously east of the west, yeah, east east of Sacramento. You got the Sierras, which are mostly conservative, uh, logging and and ranching and mining and vineyards. And uh, you got Napa Valley, which is kind of a mix. The coastal areas are uh, liberal, and then of course you got pretty much uh, what runs the state is. The San Francisco Bay, Bay Area was 5 million people, and then you got L.A. Now, San Diego used to be an incredibly strong Republican stronghold, uh, large in numbers there, but they've somewhat declined. Um, so there's all sorts of demographic shifts, and then people are moving out. And then buddies that moved to Idaho or Montana, one's up in North Dakota now. Um, and so, I mean, it's surprising. If you came to this county... I pick most of the northern counties, like Shasta County, Tehama County, Glen County, Siskiyou County, Modoc, last and I can keep going, Trinity, uh, which these combined states would be probably larger than Pennsylvania. Um, maybe add a couple more, but Calusa. Anyway, it's it's like it's like you're in the Midwest politically. But a lot of incredibly independent-minded people. But it's the big cities, kind of like how Portland, Portland outvotes everybody. <laughs> and so you got Southern Oregon, which is very rural and conservative. But it's Portland dictating to the rest of the whole state. In fact, there's a movement where several Oregon counties voted. It was a special election. This is in the Epoch Times. Um, it's kind of amusing what's left of Oregon if this comes if this goes through, but basically the uh, a number of eastern counties and southern counties of Oregon voted to to join Idaho. I guess they call it Greater Idaho now if successful, and then the rest of Oregon would basically be Portland area and a few counties around Portland. But the people are like, we're tired of it. We're tired of the big cities telling us rural folk what to do. Absolutely disgusting and tired of it. And 
So California is changing because a lot of conservatives are getting out of uh, – I'm done. I'm out of here, and they escape, and every now and then I escape California when I go over the border to Oregon and uh, you know, out of the frying pan into the fire. But <laughs> – so yeah, that, those are so, so much uh, dynamics, and, and I, I don't really like it when people – Assume that all of California is um, all liberal because we're not. We're in the rural areas. We are so just like Iowa, just like Indiana, Nebraska, Missouri. We are so conservative, freedom-minded people. Dearly love the Constitution, um, and it's hard for rural folks to stay around because all well, when you're young, you want to get out and see the world. But there's not too many businesses. The small towns are barely holding on. Um, so th- just the dynamics so, is just so amazing. Then, then question, Kelly. Question, Kelly. I hear you what you're saying, but what, what confuses me, and I'm going to throw this out to the panel and throw this out to Robert, is those who have chosen to stay for whatever their reasons are, you know, there's an old saying, an old quote, you get the government you deserve. So you, you, you can't cry and moan that you don't like what's going on, but then you continue to be voting or keeping those liberals who are passing the policies that are creating uh, these draconian measures that have destroyed the economy. And if the case is true that in counties there is more Republicans than Democrats, then they're not doing a very good job of fighting to hold the ground for California. They're not doing a very good job the fighting for conservatism at all. They're doing an abysmal job, and that's the problem. You've got to have people who are ready to fight, organize, and do so in the ballot box. So it doesn't, it, you know, for me, the way I see it, like my home state of New York, another place that's been run into the ground by liberals, is things were great under Giuliani for eight years. There was prosperity, tourism returned, he cleaned up a lot of the homelessness, a lot of the crimes, Things were great under Giuliani uh, when he was mayor between 1993 to 2001. So my question to anyone who's living in these states, in these liberal strongholds, regardless of your party affiliation, what are you doing to hold your leaders accountable? Because if you say you're doing something, the end result is not showing that you are. What is showing is that liberals are continuing to run amok, on these states and on these cities, and I just don't understand. And please, will someone enlighten me? Uh, And I'll even ask you that question, Robert. I said the other day to one of my friends, are they that stupid? Can people not see that these liberals are destroying the quality of life of your city and making it almost impossible for you to live there, and yet you're deciding to stay and still elect the same party that has caused this destruction? I'm sorry. There are no excuses. I'm sorry. You get the government you deserve. I'm sorry. You don't have my sympathy. You don't have my condolences card. I'm sorry. If you have decided to stay behind and continue to support the liberals, or you don't have the cojones to fight like Trump did to take back your party and take back your state, well then that's something that you need to look yourself in the mirror and figure out. 
because well, we got millions of Americans who had the guts, and it wasn't easy, who had to leave states where they had generations of families living there. They were born, they were raised, they had their homes, they had everything, but they were forced to leave because the economies toppled, and they said, you know what, we got to choose the lesser of the two evils. We could stay on the Titanic that's going to sink, or we could jump ship and take our chances somewhere else, like in a red state. Those are the people who have the fortitude to get up like I did, wasn't easy, and take everything I owned and said, I have to leave. I can, it's no longer sustainable well, for me and, to and stay in my life. People, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'd probably, I mean, I'll just bring it over to you, Kelly. I mean, I couldn't do that. I mean, I mean, it's, I'm glad you were able to do that, uh, Joseph, but I would say that the mass, I mean, the, 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 the vast majority of people, just aren't able to uproot like that. I mean, the, the vast majority of people are, are, are unable to do that. Um, and so, uh, oh, we lost Pianchi. But anyway, uh, they're not they're not they're well, not able to do that. So, but, well, but I mean, yeah, I mean, but they should. That I mean, but, that they have. but for those who hold on, but for those who do stay, uh, certainly, I mean, you, you got to fight for those who do stay. Well, Correct. But, Robert, the stats show that they have. The stats show. You want to know why? Because a lot of these red states are giving incentives for these people to leave and make it tenable for them to go, especially in South Dakota, especially in Tennessee, especially in Florida, giving them special subsidies, uh, welcoming them, in, uh, giving them loans for small businesses. So, no, the facts have shown that actually more families – then singles like myself have actually left these states in droves. Families have had no other choice. It's either that or they were on the verge of being oh, in the streets. They were on the verge of being homeless. They didn't have a no, choice I'm, in the matter. Well, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's not happening, and I'm sure, there's a, I'm sure it's happening in a lot of places. I'm just saying probably the majority of people aren't able to do I know I couldn't. I mean, I couldn't just – I mean, I'd like – well, I'm, I'm – Debating law, but I mean, part of me would be happy to, to get up and, and move to Arizona. Um, but I mean, I, I couldn't just do that. I mean, I couldn't just leave, you know, uproot right now and, and leave there. I mean, now if I had a job lined up there or something of that nature, which I don't, um, and, and then of course, you know, my family would have to uproot, uh, uproot and do that. Where, you know, that would that would certainly be conversations. But I mean, and, you, and you're right, it would be difficult. You know, it would have to be outweighed. But I would say that a lot of people. Uh, wouldn't be able to do that. Well, let me. But let me they should uh, Yeah. Well, let's. Well, you know, we're trying to stay to Jefferson here. We want to become our own state. And it's basically north of Sacramento. Twenty-two counties voted yes for a declaration to send to the legislature saying we want to be your own state. We want out. Um, that hasn't been able to go much further, but. That's one potential. Um, I had a gold mining party at a creek near White Virginia. Invited like 25 people. 20 people showed up. I got all these friends. If I move, gosh, I got to make a whole new set of friends. These are really good people. And you got family. And my son, he's 15. He's going to school, and uh, he's got a really good uh, group of friends that he likes. And he's got youth group on Sunday nights and a Bible study he really likes on Tuesday. I don't want to uproot him from that. Now, when he does graduate, I'm like, woohoo, Idaho. Woohoo. I'm like, I went there in July last year. I put the 
a gold mining wash plant for real cheap. And I'm like, I fell in love. I'm like, Idaho was amazing. Beautiful. And, oh, that's right, politics. They're not crazy there. Um, well, one factor that's affected California and is the illegal and the illegal votes. What do you do about illegal? What do you do about dead people voting? What are you doing about mail-in ballots? We went to all mail-in ballots. Well, California, when you got your ballot, it was at – you got it in the mail. Now, if you wanted to go to the precinct, surrender that ballot, you could vote in person. But California has tried desperately to do mail-in ballots because they know the Democrats can keep the control, as well as how many illegals or thousands and thousands of illegals are voting I mean, the law is – our county election clerk spoke at the Patriot Party meeting uh, about a month ago. Actually, actually, there was one in North County one in South County. He was called South County. And she said when somebody shows up to register to vote, by law, I have to take them at their word. If they say they're a U.S. citizen – I cannot deny them voter registration. And do they have to show an ID? No. Or do they? How do they know it's their ballot? Well, they sign. They have a signature card. So, the potential for mass illegal immigrants to vote in California is insane. Which means the Democrats keep staying in power. Now, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who won in uh, the recall back in, was it, 2003 or four, whatever that was, um, to Gray Out Davis was voted out, Art, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the governor, one of the first things he did was to, to build walls on the California border to keep the illegals out. Why don't you hear much about California building walls? Because Schwarzenegger got it done, or most of it done. That's why the focus is Arizona and Texas. So something amazing happened there, but still, this onslaught and, and the way the welfare system is. Um, I have a friend who's a, she's a social worker doing welfare, and she told me a lot of the illegals are getting three or four. Uh, welfare, welfare checks a month. Well, it's ridiculous. So who, who, and she actually, the record was 16. What she'd do, she'd, she'd interview these people for benefits, and she'd start out, oh, I first need a copy of your driver's license, which California did the uh, illegal aliens get a, a driver's li- a, a, a ID card. Okay, so first thing is she'd get their ID. Because I just want to make a copy for the file, and she would deliberately, deliberately fade it. So 10 minutes into the interview, she looks at the copy on the table. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, The copy machine isn't working very well. I'm going to have to take another photo of your ID. Now, Juan Juan Jose uh, Hernandez Martinez will then appear as Jose Juan Martinez Hernandez. It, it, they reverse their names around because most of them are Catholic. They have four, four names. So they have multiple IDs, and that's how she caught them. Oh, 
I'm sorry. That one didn't work very well either. Are they going to give you the same ID? No. So she would catch them three, four, five. The record was 16 times. Different people getting the same check with a different ID. So do you think these illegals are going to vote? Yes. Who are they going to vote for? The people that give them the money. We have been flanked. When Ronald Reagan was the governor here, he was dearly loved, obviously, but he became a Republican and a president for eight years. He did. He said, I didn't leave the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party left me. It was his core values. What's going on now would never happen under Ronald Reagan as governor. But something has changed so that the Democrats absolutely do every little trick in the book, including redistricting, which is it's complicated, but, but uh, finally the citizens got together and said, let's have a redistricting committee, not in control by the Democrats. So it's like three Democrats, three Republicans, and uh, an independent does the redistricting because there was enormous power to throw Republicans out when they finally won back in was it 97, 96 was 98. Mark uh, Pond is a billionaire. He spent a ton of money getting Republicans into California. And the assembly in the Senate was controlled by Republicans. The Democrats did a redistricting trick, and they booted out the Republicans. I mean, I imagine every political trick in the book. And yes, ultimately, we, the people of California, we are responsible, so I have to validate a lot of Joseph's arguments. But some of these tricks we didn't even know about because we assume that people would run in an honest manner. And yeah, and occasionally Republicans will cheat too, but it's it's seeing this this massive change is mind blowing. And then you got the unions. I mean, there's an enormous amount of industry in the San Francisco Bay Area, and it turned into tech. Um, the Bradley tank is made in San Jose. Well, actually, the prototypes. I've actually seen one coming down on a project there, and I saw one coming, me versus my little prelude head-on. I'm not going to (laughs) win. But, yeah, there was a big-time union. And then there was union construction, and I uh, knew the guy whose dad was doing the union and why San Francisco was so high-priced in homes because of one guy doing his union thing. And he would even... Uh, threatened a non-union shop to, uh, hey, we're going to bring the environmentalists here and we're going to shut you down in your subdivision unless you bring union people in because he wanted more union jobs for his union people and higher wages and higher wages. And next thing you know, San Francisco is the highest price city in the entire nation. There's all sorts of little tricks that have happened to this great state where we are firmly in the control of the Democrats. What will happen with the recall? I don't know. But the more the conservatives and the Republicans move out, obviously, the more broke California is going to come from the socialist um, paradise that they're trying to create. But it's failing, failing, and failing. But when the, when the politicians sacrifice the people so they stay in power, i.e. illegal IDs, i.e. you can sign up to vote uh, without an ID and you can be an illegal alien… And by law, the county election clerk has to take your voter registration. Yeah, this is really ugly. This is the epitome of selfishness and how to destroy a state. 
And so these, these tricks have happened over the years, and it's just like, what is going on? How did this happen? Oh, it might be too late because now we're to mail-in ballots. And, by the way, this digital ballot image that people might hope to grab from the county and do a recount on your computer screen. The Secretary of State said, oh, the digital ballot images are now confidential. What? So we can't even check the machines through this technique? I, I don't know what to say. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's complete madness. It's just like the world's gone nuts. And to be honest, I mean, I, I didn't have the luxury of leaving Hawaii. The inevitable like me and like many other people who've left these liberal states, if I would have stayed longer, the inevitability would be I'd be homeless. I probably would be homeless today because when the economy topples, and you can attest to this, Kelly, it, it, it creates a domino effect that ripples into all the other industries. If I would have stayed in Hawaii, today I'd probably be in the streets. No hyperbole on that. And I also had my ex fiance who had a stroke a couple of years ago and I'm her medical power of attorney. I also had her to think of. So if I would have stayed, mark my words, I'd be homeless today, like many other families who had to leave. It was no other choice. They stayed. They were a couple of mortgages away from being foreclosed. They were a couple of missed payments away from being evicted. I wish I could say I had the luxury, but I didn't. But thank God where I am, I'm safe. And like you said, Kelly, a lot of Californians are moving on to greener pastures, especially Idaho. States like Idaho that have uh, deflation versus inflation, uh, low taxes and regulation, balanced budgets, uh, better quality of life, uh, especially for families who want their children to be safe, grow up in a safe environment. But it is madness what is going on in California and New York and, and other liberal strongholds, what they're allowing to continue to happen and I and I think that's one of the major factors as to why for the first time in over 170 years California has decreased in population something they haven't seen in a very long time and so as things get worse it's going to come to a point where and I pray I pray Republicans can take control so it doesn't have to happen is going to come to the point where more people's hands are going to be forced, especially families, where they're not going to say, well, we just can't get up. One day, their employer is going to say, you don't have a job anymore, and then they're not longer going to be able to pay their mortgage. If they can't pay their mortgage, their kids are at risk of being in the streets, their wives, their family, they're going to have no choice. It's either get out and go someplace else, or they're going to be in the streets. We're going, to, we're going to look like a third world country, having kids in the streets. There's going to be no other choice. And I don't want it to come to that. And that's why it's important that Republicans take back the House in 2022 and the Senate and the presidency in 2024 to turn, to turn this derailed train of the Biden-Harris regime. Because eventually it's going to get to a point where Families who are saying, well, we just can't get up and go, they're finally going to say, I'm literally one notice away from being foreclosed. My family goes in the streets. Then what? I can't have that on my conscience. And they're going to have to say, we have no choice but to leave this state. We have no choice. we got to think of our kids. 
How would they fare off in the streets being homeless? Not too good. I don't think they would. I had a buddy that, And that's uh, why I would say we're going to go we're going to go through a lot more pain and suffering before it gets better. I've said that many times on the show, unfortunately, because yeah. the reality is we're not going to have a new president until 2024. We still have to endure more pain and suffering. I just pray that it doesn't hurt more people. That is my first hope. Enough people. <laughs> I well, think it's I, I all of a... our hopes on this show. Uh, Robert, yeah. uh, you and I and everyone on this show, we share many things in common, including compassion. We don't want people to suffer. This is not what we wish. We don't wish this upon anyone. We don't wish for, pe- for families to be displaced, for people to have their homes foreclosed on, their, their cars repoed, their furniture auctioned. We don't wish this. You'd have to be an evil, sinister person to want to wish that. I don't wish that. But it's happening. That's the reality. And it's only going to get worse under the Biden-Harris regime. It's not getting any better. It's going to get worse. So my fervent hope and prayer is that it doesn't have to happen to another family. The only thing is, you and I all know it is. For as long as the Democrats are in power, and even, if, even when we take back the House in 2022 in the Senate, we still got another two years of the Harris-Biden regime. So I, I got this buddy. We got a text from him today. He's in Texas. He was in Sacramento. And uh, I said, wow, congratulations. You escaped California. I said, yeah, I came to the realization I'd never be able to afford a home in California. And so I moved. We bought a house right away in Texas. Gee, simple finances. Burning your money down the drain, you just uh, buy a house. There you go, build an asset. So, you know, it's, I, California is going to have to crash beyond belief. And then the right people get in. But how is that going to happen? Maybe, maybe there's going to be some stunning candidates, be it Republican or Libertarian candidates, who um, – can pull from the NPP, the second largest party. So if you get NPP and Republicans together, bam, they would uh, they'd run the assembly and, and the state house, and the governorship every year. And if they have the Kahunas, they would immediately, immediately pass a voter registration law. Boom! Guess what would happen? You would have Libertarians and Republicans and NPP candidates in the state house for decades with a voter ID law. Boom, it's over. <laughs> it's an uphill battle. Is it I'm scratching my head how this is going to be one in California. I, I don't know. But my plans are I I my son graduates high school, boom, I'm moving to Idaho. That's my game plan. Well, I think I yeah, I believe we talked last week about uh, them. Ex- the the I, I mean, sorry, uh, Oregon wants to actually extend their eastern border uh, into Idaho. I believe that was Idaho that that was talking about doing that, and actually maybe even uh, part of uh, California doing that. I, I think that was the, the states we talked about last week. Well, yeah, actually. From the e- e- Epoch Times, I might get to move to Idaho much faster because um, it included Siskiyou County, which is on the Oregon border. 
I mean, that would be a kick <laughs> if California said, yeah, let's do a boundary line adjustment. Okay, now we're Idaho. Um, that would be a kick. And this you can't Robert, even... are they taking... Are they taking a page out of uh, Vladimir Putin's playbook and doing that, of how they've been trying to annex Crimea and Ukraine? kind of sounds like they're taking a page out of his playbook. That's scary. I don't know if they're going to use the same tactics, Joseph. (laughs) Maybe they'll have to, but... um... No, of course not, but that's, that's scary. That's really scary if they're even proposing to do something as ludicrous and insane as that. Because if they do that, they're only going to corrupt Idaho, and they're only going to corrupt these great states that are flourishing and that are surviving. Well, and but, but these are but these are these are like red counties going into. But they're talking to these red counties going into Idaho. That's what they were talking about. Let's see if I can. Um, I'll go back into the archives uh, on the on the website um, and see if I can and see if I can find that. Um, Find, yeah, find that article because I mean, personally, I mean, I think my 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 thought was maybe it was a, you know a, it being a good idea. Well, I'm I'm actually finding it right now. There, um, Business Insider has it. UPI. Some say five, some say seven. The Huff Post. Let's see. San Francisco. I mean, this this could be it right here. Um, there it is right here. Okay, so seven Oregon counties have voted to join Greater Idaho. And, yep, it comes down, gosh, it comes down into, looks like, well, this this is somebody's idea, but it actually, the counties actually voted. But the idea is to come down into California and get Modoc County, which is the northeast corner, Siskiyou County, Shasta County, Lassen County, it would be huge. And then again, Oregon is like teeny tiny. Um, let me list. Uh, there's a grassroots. Okay. Here's the article. A movement to change the map of Idaho to include rural conservative counties in eastern and southern Oregon and far northern California is growing. The grassroots group Move Oregon's Border for a Greater Idaho has rallied seven of Oregon's 36 counties to vote in favor of considering becoming part of Idaho. Sherman, these are the counties, Sherman, Lake, Grant, Baker, and Malheur counties voted on May 18th in favor. There is the five. Okay, seven more are working on it. Okay, so these counties voted on May 18th in favor of the measure that requires county officials to discuss moving the Idaho border west. There were five counties on the ballot and none voted against the measure with an average of 62% in favor. In November, four counties were the first to consider the measure. Jefferson and Union approved it, and Wallawa and Douglas were against it. Okay. Maybe that makes seven. That would be the five that just first read, and then Jefferson and Union County. Um, Jackson County would easily go, which is uh, Medford, where I-5 goes through. Um, So Mike McCarter of Lapine, Oregon, started the movement in January 2020 because of his frustration with the legislature that he said is focused on what happens in the urban Portland and Willamette Valley areas. I'm a lifelong Oregonian, said McCarter, a semi-retired 74-year-old who runs a firearm training operation in Lapine. I bleed green. I live in rural Oregon just 
south have been. It's a lovely country. What's going on out of the Oregon legislature, what takes place in Oregon does not excuse me, does not fit value wise what happens in rural Oregon. When they start a social program, we have to pay for it and we have to abide by it. We don't feel it quite right. We saw our counties in rural Oregon line up with Idaho in terms of values, economy, our crops and our lifestyle. So the next election is working on Cook, Harney, and Klamath. Klamath is on the Oregon on the Oregon California border. Douglas County is another. And so it would it would pass in uh well yeah, it'll pass in Klamath County. That's a no brainer, I can tell you that. Um but up in Jackson County that's a good possibility too. Um seventy six of land area of Oregon. And they only have twenty one percent of the population of Oregon. Um geez. So if I don't if if they if Idaho and Oregon get together and they work this out, the Idaho population would increase by 49%. But being the rural, wow. Idaho, I would guess it would. In phase two, okay, that was phase one, those Oregon counties. Phase two, the group hopes to add five counties in northeastern California to Idaho. That would be Siskiyou County, Modoc, Lassen. Um, I doubt Del Nord. But, yeah, it's – well, so there's this voting to ask their county supervisors to begin discussions. Well, if that's the case, I I say, Robert, let's vote your county in Ohio to be a part of Florida. The weather's nicer. You have a, a good governor there. Uh, let's see. Let's see what other counties we can move around. Let's have some counties in uh, California defect to South Dakota. The weather stinks there, but uh, Governor Nome is running things really good. I, I don't know. The thing is, they may be red counties, but I don't think it's right for these counties to just automatically annex themselves to these states uh, unless these states are willing to just you know, open their arms like South Dakota and, and Tennessee is doing well, yeah, and I mean, Florida's yeah, doing. Take, You're welcome. I mean, it would take them to – I mean, they can – I mean, yeah, there, it, it definitely takes, um, you know, a, a vote of the legislature. Yeah, not only it, it, would it take Idaho's agreement. I mean, it also would take um, Oregon's, you know. <laughs> I mean, they would, have to, they would have to agree as well to, to let those counties go. I mean, it's very it's a very, very long shot. But at least I'm glad that well, people are trying to think of creative ways, uh, you know, to get themselves out of, uh, you know, places like Oregon, you know. And you mentioned earlier tonight about, you know, with, what's happening in Texas, and Texas becoming more purple and then, on, 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 you know, being, uh, you know, on the verge of maybe going blue, which would be, would be terrible for this republic. Uh, but, well, I mean, but if you want to look at a state, you know that you kind of want to watch out to see how what happened with that state is is Virginia. I mean, Virginia used to be, you know, a pretty reliable red state, and now I mean now it's completely blue. So I mean, if, but if Texas goes, I don't know where, you know, the, you know, I don't know where they'd be able to, you know, at least with the the national elections or president elections. I mean, I you know, especially when you um, 
you have the Democrats trying to get, you know, Washington, D.C. as a state, and then Puerto Rico. Man, they lose. Yeah, we, yeah. The, we, we, tell you what, if the Republicans, you know, lose uh, lose Texas, we lose the Republic. It's almost as simple as that. Correct. I believe the last president to win Texas was LBJ. That was back when the Democrats were Dixiecrats. That was back when the South was a, was a stronghold for liberals and Democrats. And so this would be the first time since the 1960s that the Democrats would have control of Texas, which would be very, very, very scary. And it would really put a big dent in the red wall. But we also have to address the elephant in the room. We have to address the demographics in Atlanta that are making that makes Atlanta a completely blue city, uh, and we have to address uh, you know the uh, what happened in Arizona. Arizona was a solid red state, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden they went to Biden. We have a pretty good idea of why, but the point is, it's when you ask yourself, how does Donald Trump win Texas by just six points? Um, How does a state go from red to purple, from purple to blue? Well, it's a failure of the Republican state party and their respective states to hold the line. That's what it really comes down to. It comes down to leadership and accountability, and it's on their watch. It's a failure of the Republican party of that respective state to fail to hold the line, more like the Great War when you had to hold the line in the trenches And they are failing at that. The Republican Party is doing a wonderful job at failing and allowing the Democrats to gain more ground in the trenches, gain more inches, get this much closer to turning what has traditionally been a red state for over 40 years to now being back in the blue column. Because remember, for a very long time, Texas was in the blue column for many people who are not uh, uh, history buffs. I mean, even up until the 1960s, the, a lot of southern states were Democratic strongholds, and they were, they were nicknamed the Dixiecrats. Uh, that, a lot of people who, you know, maybe not uh, have an interest in United States history. And that all changed after LBJ decided not to run in uh, 1968 and uh, when Nixon got elected. So that would be very scary, and that would be a detrimental blow. If that does happen, but make no mistake, Texas well, is, that ga- point, is I mean, uh, gaining down. The Democrat Party back then is much different than the Democrat Party now. I mean, they're more like the the Democrat Socialist Party, and you know who uh, you know who that was. <laughs> Want to talk about history? No, absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. But but they also uh, were against the Civil Rights Act or the Voting Act. Uh, they were also the same party that were still lynching African Americans in, uh, in in southern blue states like Mississippi and Alabama. Uh, make no mistake, uh, the Democratic Party has had a very, very tainted history uh, that they have conveniently swept under the rug, and that's how ignorant the electorate is. They believe what the mainstream media is telling them, and they portray mm-hmm. the champion of people and against systemic racism. Hello, do you not know that it was the Confederacy that were Democrats, not Republicans? Did you not know that it was 
the the Democrats that were for segregation in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s in the South. Uh, the Democrats were leaders of the KKK for Democrats these days who want to call Republicans and Trump supporters white supremacists. Uh, you need to study your history. I don't know where you're getting your history from, but if history remembers, uh, you were lynching and hanging African Americans on limbs of trees, and you fought for segregation, and you fought against the Civil Rights Act that most Republicans wanted to pass, and you fought against all of that. Do you not remember that? Oh, how convenient for Democrats to sweep that under the rug. That's why I find it so ironic when they say that we are systemically racist as conservatives and Republicans. Uh, With all due respect, none of my ancestors were Dixiecrats, and they sure as hell were not lynching African Americans. So I don't know where you're coming with this, but study your history. Study your history. Trust but verify, like Ronald Reagan said, because you have a very very tainted history. The Democratic Party has had a very, very, very horrible history, and they do a great job every 30 years of sweeping it under the rug when they rush in a new era of liberalism. But make no mistake, they are the party of oppression. They were the party of the Confederacy. They were the party of the KKK. They were the party of segregation. They were the party of lynching innocent African Americans And today, they have the temerity and the nerve to point that finger at us. Want to know why? Because they have no substance. They have no argument. And when you have no substance and no argument, you lower yourself to smear tactics and smear campaigns because you have no substance. You have no platform. You have no argument. You have no message. Your only message is message of hate. And pointing the fingers at the wrong people. Am I right, guys? Well, they they have. Uh, yeah, no. yeah, I mean, I can't really, Yeah, I can't contest anything. Go ahead, Kelly. And then he, he made a good segue to an article I have here uh, that you can find on the Bard's Logic website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Uh, it's on the Bard's Logic newsroom. We'll get to it in a moment, but I know you want to chime in there, Kelly. So go ahead and then I'll get to the article. Well, it's amazing is how the media and the liberal professors have reversed the history. The reality in Texas, a whole bunch of dem- a whole bunch of black folk were instrumental in starting the Republican Party of Texas. Some say these black people actually started the Republican Party of Texas. So I find it's fascinating how the Democrats opposed the Civil Rights Act of 1964. You know, the first Republican president, Lincoln, freed the slaves. You know, it's mind-blowing how we reverse that history. And when people study it, they finally, oh, my gosh, these people are lying to us? Gomert, he was a congressman from Texas. He proposed a resolution. I watched him read it out loud, and I was busting up laughing. Because Gomert said, uh, regarding racism, there should be no political party that has shown uh, opposition to the Civil Rights Act, uh, party that promoted slavery and the purchasing of slaves. Uh, he read this resolution, and I was laughing because um, 
can I ask if you could buy a tart? I'd lost. Okay. And and so I was laughing, but Gomert was um, – there's somebody at the door there. Gomert was just hammering him. He didn't put in there the Democrats, but the obvious implication was that because of the past history of the Democrats, they would no longer be allowed to operate in Congress. <laughs> it's a hilarious resolution when I heard it. Um, back to the – real quickly, back to the uh, idea of seven Oregon counties going into Idaho. Um, the Constitution doesn't disallow it, but the Constitution doesn't necessarily have a mechanism. The Constitution doesn't have a mechanism to facilitate it. Yes, a state can be created anew. Uh, the Constitution allows by the consent of the legislature of the state and then by Congress, they both agree, then you can have a brand new state. Um, that's how Maine came out of Massachusetts. Now, Virginia and West Virginia was different because of the Civil War. Um, the Western County said, hey, we don't want to secede with Virginia, so Western Virginia became a state then. But as far as <clears throat> doing what I would call, because that's a civil engineers we do these, a boundary line adjustment, the Constitution may not require at all Congress's consent unless it could be simply up to the state legislatures. And if they both agree, then it can be done. So I'd love to see it. I, I mean, I'd, around here in Marika, I, I, I would say eight or nine out of ten people are going to want to join Idaho Oregon goes first. And to that article, because uh, you mentioned the media, I want to get this um, uh, tonight. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a Chinese state-run media paid U.S. newspapers millions for advertising campaigns. Says, meanwhile, media begins to take Wuhan coronavirus lab leak theory seriously after dismissing it as a conspiracy theory. So several American newspapers have reportedly received millions of dollars over the past six months from a group uh, from a news agency controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. China Daily paid more than 1.6 million dollars to the Los Angeles Times, Financial Times, Time Magazine, and Foreign Policy Magazine to run advertising campaigns according to the Justice Department disclosures first reported by the Washington Free Beacon. The breakdown of the $1.6 million is as follows, $700,000 to Time, $272,000 to Los Angeles Times, two. 191,000 to the Foreign Policy Magazine and 30, uh, $371,577 to the Financial Times. It also paid more than $1 million to major newspapers, including the Boston Globe, Seattle Times, Los Angeles Times, and Chicago Tribune to, post, to print copies of its publications. This isn't the first time American news publications accepted money from organizations backed by the Communist China Party. Major news networks like the New York Times, yeah, no, no doubt, for, you know, no surprise there, and the Washington Post ended their relationship 
with China Daily after critics complained they were publishing Chinese state propaganda. So they were until they got caught and people complained about it. It says China Daily often paid American publications to include inserts titled China Watch, which portrayed the Chinese government and China in a positive light disguised as normal newspaper stories. The financial relationship between major U.S. news publications and Chinese state-backed groups comes as many mainstream reporters admit. The theory that the coronavirus originated from a Wuhan lab is credible after months of labeling as conspiracy theory. When former uh, President Donald Trump and his administration suggested this theory was credible, many reporters dismissed the claims as being political and Trump's way of laying blame on the Chinese government. Now reporters are admitting, while the Trump administration might be proven right, Trump bore responsibility for reporter skepticism and immediate dismissal of the theory. So, again, and, and I think we're going to see, I tell you what, this is what I'm hoping, at least, to see in 2022 and 2024. I'm really hoping that we see a, a great awakening in the United States, much like is what a lot of people seen with the Carter administration. And, you know, I personally believe you've heard this here first, you know, the comparisons between the, the uh, Carter administration and the Biden regime. Um, of course, you're hearing more of it now, but, I, you know, I think you heard it first here in Bart's Logic where, where we talked about it. But I think it's coming. I think things are, are going to get, as you pointed out, Joseph, so bad that you know, again, much like the Carter uh, administration, that I think it's going to wake a lot of people up. And then more stories like this, like with the, oh, wait a minute, I, I, you know, all these things that the media was telling us during the Trump administration are lies. I think all this truth. I mean, I think the, the lies about. The origins of COVID, I think the lies about the election are going to come out. And, you know, and I'm hoping it's going to be able to open up a lot of folks' eyes so that 2022 comes, you know, they, they can, you know, take back the House in, in large numbers. And then maybe, you know, and then, you know, hopefully the Senate, you know, and then eventually, you know, the presidency, which, again, I, I say this, that if it is going to indeed be a Carter-like administration, you know, which I believe that this regime will, and even when, you know, Biden steps down, I still contend he may step down within, you know, a year's time of being, uh, you know, uh, coronated, then the Harris, I mean, she couldn't even get her own state in the primary, and she frankly doesn't have the, I don't think she has the gravitas in order to win a general election. So whoever the, the I, I think whoever is the, uh, Republican nominee in 2024, you know, I think he got a good shot uh, of winning, of, you know, of winning the election unless, you know, there's more, uh, you know, more theft that we, as we've seen in 2020. But I, my hope is at least, and I think it, personally, I think it will be exposed uh, that they're not going to be able, the, the type of steal that they were able to, the expanse and the extent of the steal that they were able to do in 2020 I, I don't think, and I hope I'm right, I don't think they're going to be able to get away with it again, at least not anytime soon, because I think it's, even though it's, you know, three years away, you know, you almost four years away, and political memory is the shortest memory, uh, I still think this will be something that will, um, will come back, uh, you know, to bite them. 
Well, it's it's funny you bring that because I I do have a uh, a special guest here, and uh, he can only speak for a few minutes, but um, he's actually the former president, and uh, he'd like to say a few words on maybe his potential run for 2024. Oh, well, definitely like to hear that. This is Bards After Logic. I am so gonna win in 2024. I don't know why anybody is doubting me or thinking that Biden has a shot. Personally, I think he's not. He's going to drop out. And then we're going to have Montel Williams, side woman, not his bottom woman. We all know what bottom woman is. Go against me. It's going to be a laugh fest. That's all I got to say. Oh, well, thank you, I'm President sorry. I was Trump. only able to get a few seconds of that air time. I was able to pull some strings and get the dawn on your show. <laughs> Well, I was able to pull some strings and get the Don on your show just for a couple of seconds, but uh, I can't reveal the identity of the person, but he does a great Trump impersonation, and I figured it's Bart's <laughs> after dark, so why not? Doesn't he sound like Trump? Oh, my gosh. We should, yeah, we should do something. <laughs> we should certainly do something. I'll give you one more, okay? I'll give you one more, um, and he does it very well. And uh, it'll be very short, but you got to have some humor in the show. Ladies and gentlemen, our senator from Vermont, uh, Bernie Sanders. Am I on at the dock? Is this at the dock? Because Jane is asleep right I have my lotion, and I have thoughts. As you know, I did write an essay a long time ago about one woman, if she's with a man, she obviously fantasizes about three. Now, we all know my wife looks like a retired truck stop. Dare I say, solid <laughs> on the set board. At the door, am I correct? Yes. Yeah, you're close. <laughs> okay. That's incredible. And uh, one last one. We are actually going to hear from former governor for you, Kelly, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Kelly, I heard you're a big fan of me. That's incredible. Did you vote for me back in 2002 and in 2006? Or was it 2003 or 2007? I forgot. I was just trying to go around and made it the whole time. That's why yours was around. You tell me, did you? I thought so conservative, but I spent like a liberal. Remember I was married to a Kennedy before the Nicaraguan nanny? She covered me when my mother died in 1998, and that's when Joseph was conceived, and he's my favorite son. He looks just like me. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't understand how people couldn't understand. It was, it was my son when they asked him, hey, how you doing? He was like, oh, my stars. He sounds just like me. I that. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. <laughs> that man just made my night, let me tell you. <laughs> so so is he right next to you in the same room, Joseph? Uh, yes, I have signed a non-disclosure, so I cannot reveal as to why the former governor of Arnold Schwarzenegger is right next to me, but if you have a question, please feel free, Kelly. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi is nowhere near over here. I don't know where Nancy is. 
But then all Willie Brown, yeah. he was in Kabbalah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember her being the attorney general and I was the governor, but I don't remember at the same time because I was too busy with all this school up in California. That's what made light bulb. I mean, sorry, uh, Moonbeam become the next governor again. He was the governor in the 70s and the 80s, and then he became the governor of the 2010s and for the 2018. Well, uh, sorry about that. Mr. Well, Mr. Governor, I got a question for you, okay, because I heard a joke. And I'm wondering if you're running for president because, see, the joke is this. Um, did you know that Arnold Schwarzenegger groped 20 women? That means about 100 more, and he's presidential material. So uh, are, are you running? Are you going to run for president? Well, unfortunately, the Constitution says I can't, I can't run for governor. But if I run as a Democrat, I can run as president. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to thinking about that because I hated Trump so much, and I tried taking over his show, and it didn't work too well. Martha Stewart tried the same thing, and they don't have the, the, the persona as he does. <laughs> yeah, that's a, very, that's a very good point you have there. Yeah, if you're a Democrat, you'd be able to get be president. That's true. If I don't have the Democrat, I can have more Nicaraguan nannies. That's what I've been told. Because <laughs> I used to hear that they say, well, if you go brown, you don't leave town. And she couldn't leave town because I had a green card. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been sponsored by Bard's Political Talk. Uh, Logic, uh, <laughs> this is After Hours. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, please be advised, it's only for 18 and over crowds here. Uh, well, uh, this is a little uh, humor to bring back uh, to Bard's Logic. And uh, uh, please, uh, for people who are going to play the archives back, please make sure that young children are not listening. Thank you very much. Yeah, not, <laughs> not to that. That was funny. Well, that was great. Uh, yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was great. We'll, we'll have to have a, a segment for that. That, that That's <laughs> Oh my gosh! We'll have, to, we'll have to think of some kind of special segment for that every once in a while. That was that was really cool. And I'm a bit. And I'm a, yeah, I've always had. Thank you, but Arnold has left the building. Kid, so Arnold, Arnold is no longer here. Fan, so. <laughs> Arnold Boy, has left Conan the building. Arnold the Barbarian back in the eighties. Exactly. <laughs> Well, Arnold has left the building, Bernie has left the building, and I think Trump's uh, uh, limo is about to leave. No, you I was got a party going get on there. Coke, uh, Where's my dad Coke, Joseph? Um, am I back on? <laughs> yeah, you're back on, Mr. President. All right. Two scoops of ice cream and a dad Coke. That was the deal. Or two dad Cokes, two scoops of ice cream. I'm a very busy man. <laughs> Yes, yes, you are. Busier than the, the, the total occupant of the White House. What was that? Said you're busier than the current occupier of the of the White House. The usurper of the presidency. Well, I'm just pulling up Grover Cleveland. Melania Toad, the incredible staff. Keep the place clean. We'll be back in four years. 
Well, if it, if it keeps going the way that it is, I don't. Uh, I get a lot of confidence that that's going to be the case. Officially, Trump has just left the building, ladies and gentlemen. For all you fans of the uh, Bards After Dark, uh, sorry, all three people have left the building. If you have any more requests. Um, please send an email to Robert, our wonderful host, and I may be able to pull some strings to get the Don back here next week and uh, maybe even get the governor here. Uh, I heard, Kelly, you have a little bit more pull than I do on that. Well, yeah, with being from, from California, maybe if Kelly makes a request. Yeah. Maybe I'll uh... – <laughs> I can get in touch with Nancy Pelosi. Oh wow, that would be that, that'd be something else. What did you just say? Is it someone calling name? I got uh, drinking some wine. Uh, I'll come back to you guys. So you're gonna circle to go back, back and, and, <laughs> go back in the bar. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna circle go back. back. Go back in the bar. Now, uh, little, little, <laughs> a couple of updates. A couple of updates here for uh, thinking of guests. Uh, a couple of up- updates. Um, we are slotted to have uh, Jonah Schultz on next week, and he is running against uh, the anti-Trump Republican Anthony Gonzalez. So we will be having him on. And then I, I, I came across a story. I reached out to uh, a couple other folks, Ronnie. I haven't heard from them yet, but of course we're going to work on you know trying to get them back on the you know, get them on the show. And, you know, hopefully we'll be able to get uh, Jack Lombardi back as well. But uh, definitely, you know, definitely, you know, consider, uh, you know, once we get into four, you know, finding one of these candidates, to, even if they're not in your state, to uh, support them because they're going to they're gonna be up a lot, uh, against a lot of money uh, when, when, you know, support wherever, you know, wherever you can, time, maybe even funds, but, uh, to these candidates going against these, you know, anti-Trump, basically, I think, anti-American uh, candidates, because uh, they're, they're going to have a lot of uh, they're going to have a lot of backing. I mean, the, a lot of these anti-Trump, uh, you know, Canada, uh, you know, Republicans, and we're going to talk about. I got another um, article here that I want to uh, I want to bring up uh, as well. But first, the story since I brought it up is uh, I'm working on having. Uh, Joe Joel Wood on, and he's actually a pharmacist who was fired uh, because he refused to give vaccinations to children. So they, he actually got fired for it. So we're working on uh, getting him onto the show to talk about his story. Um, I just reached out to him, you know, earlier this evening. So you know, I'm not expecting anything, you know. Real, real quick uh, on hearing him, uh, but we're working on having him on uh, to the show. Now, speaking of uh, Republicans that are, you know, siding with uh, Democrats, and I, I was hoping to reach out to uh, someone we had on the show a lot here. She was a, uh, a delegate for Newt Gingrich in, you know, 2012. Uh, so we were hoping to have Barbara Haney back on the show tonight. Um, I was unable to reach her, um, but, you know, to, to talk about this. Uh, but, this, you know, this is actually the front page, uh, so to speak, of the Bard's Logic newsroom at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. 
And right there up front, so Murkowski joins Romney. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, but we need to get these folks out too. Says Murkowski joins Romney in backing a January 6th commission. Democrats still need eight more GOP votes. Says uh, Senate Democrats need 10 Republicans to vote in favor of the commission to get the legislation to President Biden's desk. Now, we know the occupier in chief would sign it. Because Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski has joined fellow GOP Senator Mitt Romney, no surprise, to support uh, to create uh, to support to creation of an independent commission to investigate the January 6th Capitol breach. I'm going to support it, Murkowski said in the bill Tuesday, which passed the Democrat-controlled House with the support of 35 Republicans, and we gave that list. Remember, folks, uh, if you missed it, uh, we gave that list in the archive last week. So go to last week's episode, and you'll hear the list of the 35 that uh, voted uh, for the bill. And says the Senate is split 50-50 among Democrats and Republicans, which means Democrats will need support from eight or more Republicans to pass the measure. Or they could attempt a legislative tactic to pass the measure with a simple majority with Vice President Kamala Harris casting the deciding vote. Senator Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said Tuesday, Senators, quote, hope to vote this week before leaving Washington for Memorial Day recess. And so here we go. Again, have Romney. Again, no surprise. Murkowski, not so much of a surprise, but I definitely see – Romney getting, um, you know, booted out, you know, lefty. Hopefully Murkowski does. But, we, I mean, we really need to fight against these folks because – and the thing that kind of ticks me off is that you have the Democrats who want to have a commission on the Capitol, but why not, why not a commission, to, you know, on BLM who attacked multiple federal buildings throughout the country? Rioted, looted, and murdered people. Why, why, is there, why is there not a commission on that? And why is there not a commission on the origins of the Wuhan or the China or the COVID virus? Why, you know, where's the commission on that? But you know what it is, is that event on January 6th scared the shit out of the, the politicians, which, frankly, I don't mind. Uh, because that's one of the problems, I think, is the, the politicians today, they don't fear the American people. They don't. And I think politicians should have a healthy fear of, of the people because then they think they can, as our friend John likes to say, uh, run roughshod over us. Uh, and so – Hey, Robert. Yeah. Um, Biden called for a free intelligence uh, department's to submit uh, their a report on their invest Wuhan connection to the coronavirus, and it's due in 90 days. What is the? Are they asking for a commission on that, or is that just a report? It's intelligence committees. Well, I don't know how much yeah, we, we can trust them. To be honest. Well, but, but anyway, so, so as, I was, as I was saying, is that the thing that ticks me off about about the whole thing 
is that, you know, they, they want to build barricades around D.C. They want to have National Guard people at D.C. Uh, so they want to protect themselves. They want to protect the politicians. But they don't want to, you know, you know, build the whole wall that needs to be done on the wall to protect the, the people, on the, you know, on the southern border, border, you know, against all the illegal immigrants and all the stuff coming up from there. They didn't want to protect the cities, the citizens in the cities that faced months of looting and rioting in the streets, people being murdered. You know, they didn't want to do anything and you send extra guards to protect them. But yet now that the politicians were made afraid, oh, they, you definitely got to pay for, you know, protect the politicians. And then you have these people out there, you know, who, you know, who, who support this, you know, this commission to keep calling it an insurrection when it really wasn't. You know, the only person who was killed was unfortunately, not that unfortunately more people were killed, but it's unfortunate she did, was an unarmed person. They're lying about the death of Sicknick still, you know, trying to make it as if, you know, the January 6th caused his, his death. And even if it did, which it didn't, more police officers were, were hurt or killed due to the BLM and Antifa riots. So where's the commission on that? Good question. Good questions, Robert. Um, yeah, it's well. See, when you weaponize the government against your political opponent, that is not good. And hopefully, the Americans. Well, they're certainly doing that. that. They're certainly doing that against Trump. I mean, they're still going after Trump. There's a prosecutor. Oh, but yeah, you probably heard this, Kelly, because you got your finger on this pulse. Is a, a, a a New York prosecutor just paneled a uh, a grand jury to try to get it, uh, to try to get uh, evidence against Trump. Yeah, surprise, surprise. Yeah, well, we know we know. <laughs> it, I mean, we know what it is. I mean, if this was a, supposedly against Trump's business dealings, why didn't they go after him prior to him being president? Why? Because. They know the position that the Biden regime is putting the, Democrat, the Democrats in, the position in for 2024, and they are scared to death of another Trump movement and Trump running in 2024. They're scared to death of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, my gut feeling is he'll win. Uh, you know, what's kind of interesting is uh, Trump hasn't been all – I mean, yeah, he did say he had his concerns about the problems with the election. I get that. But he hasn't been a whining baby about it. He hasn't. What did you say? I missed what you said there, Kelly. You're kind of muffled. Trump has not been a whiny baby about losing the election. He did point it out in a calm, matter-of-fact way, but he hasn't been a whiny baby. I think he, well, at CPAC, he said, what, do I have to beat these people a third time? Yeah, yeah, and, I like that. Yeah, yeah, and that was kind of cute. Um, so we'll see what happens in 2024. Um, by the way, Election integrity, we're talking about that for a minute. Um, there was a report released by the president of the Arizona Senate 
There's been a number of um, ballots missing in the boxes that they have obtained from Maricopa County. Now, well, that's interesting. So then, uh, a more recent thing I heard was that the military vets and their mail-in ballots, their absentee ballots from overseas, most of them, well, actually, what I heard was in the reexamination of the military ballots, all of them voted for Biden. So you what? can guess yeah, that, right. was a, that was right. That was a big time switcheroni. Um, New Hampshire, there's a township in New Hampshire that's doing an investigation, and there's also a uh, Fulton County. The judge ordered that the absentee ballot should be open and forensically audited. Of course, there's stuff still going on in Michigan and Pennsylvania. So we have a situation here that isn't over yet. Is it going to cause Trump to get back in office? I doubt it. Um, and some of these investigators in the reporting are saying, look, we're not trying to get Trump in office. What we're trying to do is note all of the problems so we can provide solutions to all the situations. Um, Yvonne Hutton Pulitzer is working on the paper, the paper, the paper, the paper, in such a way that you can't repli- cannot replicate ballots. Um, so that's interesting how those technologies are going to come about. There's a firm in Southern California that has offered, <clears throat> of course, they're going to get paid for doing it, to recount all the races in Maricopa County. And they'll do it electronically by their own machine. They claim they'll have it done before the actual hand recount. So we have a very tender, interesting uh, situation. The media is already already spinning that, ah, it was done by cyber ninjas. They're not qualified to do that. Oh, this, that, that, this, this, all that. And they're already spinning it before the results have come out. I was just like, this is mind-blowing. Uh, so I guess we still got to wait and see. It may not be till late June or July when they're done in Maricopa County. The supervisors, well, actually their commissioners, county commissioners in Maricopa County, they're actually, uh, there's recall efforts on them now because they were playing games and, oh, we're not going to work with the state senate. Anyway, so there's going to be recall on that. Surprise, surprise, they're going to get thrown out of office. Um, can you imagine how upset some people are in Maricopa County? Just where's the transparency? Where's the openness? Where's the willingness to work with people? I mean, if if you have a recount and the numbers are the same, then why are you having a problem with the recount? If your work was so good, then why? Then it will most certainly stand up to scrutiny, and you're double praised because you did it right the first time, just like engineering. I submit a set of plans. Another engineer can look at them. Oh, what do you know? I had to stand up to scrutiny. I have to get through the building department, of course, and I do. I get a building permit for clients. You know, it's like me as an engineer, okay? No, 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 I don't want the building department to look at my plans. No, 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 shouldn't be looking at my plans. No, what? That's how people get killed when you have people doing junk work. Anyway, I want to change the topic a little bit. Um Watch some videos and some other information coming to me that there's going to be some UFO disclosure coming up. Tucker Carlson talked about it. Laura Ingram 
and even Sean Hannity. I'm like, what? My neighbor was telling me about it. There's supposed to be some alien UFO disclosure coming out in June. To which level? I don't know. Are there going to be any LGM at the podium giving a speech? Or what <laughs> will these LGM say? Are the LGM going to be speaking our language? What's LGM? I, I understand the myth that I don't know what that is. Little green men. Uh, <laughs> well, okay, I, I, I honestly, I honestly believe that Donald Trump will run in 2024. And I got to be honest, if he doesn't, I don't think anyone is capable of, if anyone can turn around this country and save us from going into the abyss, uh, it's, it's, it's Donald Trump beyond a shadow of a doubt. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we got some great names like Governor Nome and, and DeSantis, but they're not Donald Trump. They're not populists. They can't produce the results that President Trump has proven what he could do with just four years in office. And Donald Trump is not a man to just throw teases out there. He's a man of principle, and he's a man of, uh, uh, of his word. And his word is like gospel. So the fact that he's still saying that he is heavily considering running for 2024 is a real positive sign. And I believe he's just making sure that he, the priority is him getting as many candidates that he's going to endorse and he's going to act as a surrogate for in 2022. Because if he were to announce too early, it would take, it would take away all the attention from the candidates that are running to take back the house and Senate. So that makes sense. So if he's going to make the move, I really think he's going to pull a Grover, Grover Cleveland after 2022. Uh, I just think he's, uh, he's weighing in with his family as well because he realizes um, the scrutiny he's going to be under for the next four years. But I think, and I know he loves America enough to make that sacrifice. I think he himself realizes that he is America's last hope. And that's probably the only reason why, if you still ask him if he's running, He's not going to say no. He's actually said many times on many interviews, including the last time he was interviewed by Sean Hannity and Fox, that he's heavily, heavily considering it and weighing in and consulting with his uh, advisors and legal teams. Uh, But he's not ready to make that announcement. So um, our future rests on Donald Trump running in 2024 because there is no substitute for, 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 for the Don. Let's just face it. Um, if, if, if anyone can get us out of this mess, the only person I know that I can put my full trust and confidence in, and I believe 81 million Americans would agree with me on this, is Donald J. Trump. I can't think of anyone else. And believe me, I wish it wasn't like that. I wish it didn't come down to the one-person scenario of, holy smokes, well, then if it's all in one person's hands, what happens if that one person decides not to run? But it is what it is, and, um, you know, I think that if he does announce after 2022, uh, it will create a lot of uh, attention. Uh, CNN and MSNBC definitely will be back in business because their ratings are abysmal since Trump has left office because (laughs) they they can't bash him. So they'll love that. But most importantly, it will give Americans reassurance 
and it will give him true hope, not false hope. It will give him true hope that America's best days are ahead and that Donald Trump is back and he's back to make sure that America continues or once again becomes great again. And I think he would lift so many spirits and give so many hopes to so many people that need it right now because he's the only man on the planet that I know that can get us out of this mess. Lord knows four years from now, you know, it's going to be ten times worse than what it is today. And day by day, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And you can't go wrong with President Trump because he has proven that he can achieve what the establishments have said were the impossible when he was running for office, how they laughed at him about his policies and what he was going to do, calling him an apprentice clown who was delusional. And guess what? There's a, a court case and a grand jury in the state of New York and they're trying to charge President Trump with uh, crimes. Um, I have this article here. I'm not going to read it, but it says, Manhattan District Attorney convened special grand jury in Trump probe. Now, ask is it yourself, a federal, why is, is are they going to such jury? great lengths? Uh, say it again. Is that a federal grand jury or a state grand jury? Well, uh, let's let's see. It says the Manhattan District Attorney Office has convened a special grand jury that could decide whether an indictment is warranted against former President Donald Trump or his uh, uh, company. Sources familiar with the matter told ABC News. Until no prosecutors have been using previously impaneled grand juries to issue subpoenas and gather evidence in an investigation that has spanned the better part of two years. Grand juries only sit for a few months at a time, while a special grand jury sits for a longer period of time. Impaneling a special grand jury suggests the case has reached an advanced stage, but as yet there have been no charges filed. Potential witnesses have been contacted in recent weeks about appearing before the special grand jury. The sources told ABC News. Word of the special grand jury's existence was the first by the Washington Post. Manhattan District Attorney C.Y. Vance began investigating Trump's business practices based on the congressional testimony of Michael Cohen, who served as the former president's personal attorney and fixer. One focus of the investigation includes whether Trump inflated the value of certain properties to obtain bank loans and deflated the value of those same properties to pay lower taxes, sources have told ABC News. Vance has fought twice all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court to gain access to eight years' worth of Trump's personal and business tax returns. This is a continuation of the greatest witch hunt in American history, Trump said in a statement late Tuesday. This is purely political and an affront to the almost 75 million voters who supported me in the presidential election, and it's being driven by highly partisan Democrat prosecutors. So at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, why are so many people doing everything in their power to make it so that Donald Trump doesn't run in 2024? If Donald Trump has no intentions of running in 2024, then he no longer poses an existential threat. That's because he has expressed many times that he is seriously weighing in, and they are terrified of a second Trump term because they know that what he didn't achieve in his first term, he sure as hell is going to make sure he achieves it in his second term, and he represents the greatest existential to the left 
and our enemies who seek to destroy our country and turn our beautiful constitutional republic into a socialist, communist society. And they're trying everything, including he became the first president in history to go through a second impeachment trial, including this sham by 35 Republicans who want to make an inquiry into January 6th. You better believe they're shaking in their boots because he does represent the greatest existential threat in American history, but he's on the right side of history. He is for America. It's the greatest existential threat for those who seek to destroy who we are as a constitutional republic, who seek to ensure that we are no longer the land of the free and the home of the brave. So this is just yet another example of how terrified they are of him even just hinting that he is considering running in 2024. So they're trying to do everything in the book to get him. But I tell you, folks, he, he, it, 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 it's like he's Batman. And he, and, he ha, and he has this body armor that you could shoot all the bullets. They just bounce right off of him. And I think that's going to be my closing comments, to be honest, since we're getting close to that time. Um, and I'll leave that as my closing comments. Kelly, great to have you back on the show. Bianchi, great to have you back. Robert, always a pleasure. God bless. Stay safe. And uh, let's see what happens next week. I mean, this is like the days of our lives, the soap opera that went on for 30 years. Every week it's a new <laughs> twist, it's a new turn, it's a new something. It's like a box of chocolates. We don't know what we're going to get. So let's see what it is uh, next Wednesday. And uh, everyone, you have a, a safe and a wonderful evening. Oh, and by the way, um, Kelly, uh, former Governor Schwarzenegger, did send me a text, and he said uh, he'd be glad to uh, debate you in a forum uh, on any given time um, and even uh, give you his autograph, and you could take a picture with him. Uh, Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders has declined my uh, inquiries at this time. I'm sorry, they're a little bit busy. Um, Arnold has a little bit more time on his hands. Good night, folks. Thank you very much, Joseph. Uh, certainly appreciate it. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we are about that, that time, um, you know, for some, some closing comments, uh, closing thoughts. Uh, definitely, you know, take uh, – you know, some time to uh, share tonight's episode. Uh, if you need the link, uh, reach out to me by uh, the contact page at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com, uh, or, I, or if you know me personally uh, on here, just uh, send me a text. I'll get you the link or an email, and I'll get you a link to tonight's show so we can uh, send it out to folks on your social media as well as your emails. And, of course, uh, that would be appreciated uh, to get out the, the content of tonight's show uh, out to more folks. So, I, of course, I really appreciate that. So, yeah, Kelly, I guess it's about um, – we got a little bit more time. We'll have to really shut things down, maybe about five minutes. So if you want to spend, you know, spend the last five minutes with uh, what you want to end with, and then I'll have to close things out for tonight, uh, go ahead, Kelly. Oh, well, good to be on the show, and I want to try to end – in a humorous way. Uh, so comrade, comrade Joseph, Biden not take your freedom. Nope. He's just going to force you to be compassionate for those who don't want to work. It's called forced compassion. Yeah. He's not going to take your freedom. He might take your money. So comrade Joseph, I am looking forward to the next stimulus package because it'll include vodka. Maybe you and I, comrade Joseph, can get together Pretend we're in the Soviet Union 
and drink our vodka. I don't really drink vodka, but I'm looking forward to it in the stimulus package. How about these L, L, uh, little green men? The LGMs. Supposedly, there's going to be a big disclosure. And of course, people are going to wonder, gee, what are their politics? What is their religion? What do they eat? How tall are they? How long do they live? All sorts of questions. They go political. Are you a Republican or a Democrat? Do you uh, LGMs support or oppose LGBT? <laughs> what are they about? Did they like Trump or not? <laughs> Would they wear a MAGA hat? <laughs> well, do they even the have heads? <laughs> well, yeah. So these LGMs, I don't think there'd be much point in wearing a MAGA hat because they're just not that tall. <laughs> There's no publicity with, well, maybe amongst the L, LGMs, but <laughs> um, anyway, let's spend a little more time talking about this potential disclosure. And to what level? I don't know. Um, but when Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, and uh, Sean Hannity talk about it, I'm like, oh, interesting. Are they going to put the connection together, though? Because, you know, Roswell, New Mexico was, uh, I guess, the big one. And I wonder if they're going to disclose that nine months later, Al Gore was born. <laughs> So, well, so, maybe that's maybe he, that, that maybe because he's part alien, that's that's how he was able to uh, create the internet. Oh, there you go. Yes, and then that created another problem of public awareness of so much information available, and all of a sudden we're like, goodness, didn't know the government was doing this, didn't know the government was doing that, didn't know the government is LGMs. Maybe just maybe. Joe Biden is a cousin to an LGM. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know if he can be He's too tall, but you know, Ross Perot. Dr. Kelly, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and and close things out uh, for this evening. Um, at least according to my my, my time clock here, so how much time's remaining. So, unfortunately, that's where I'm going to have to close things out. Of course, always uh, appreciate everyone coming on. We are looking forward to. Uh, next week, uh, you know, we are uh, slotted to have, you know, uh, Jonah Schultz on. Again, it's running against the anti-Trump Republican, Anthony Gonzalez. Uh, and so he's going to, you know, be on the show uh, next week. So looking forward to that. Always looking to have more candidates on. Uh, you know, reached out to, uh, you know, some more uh, and other folks, not just some candidates. So hoping to have them on as well. Uh, so, you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting to have those on. Again, if uh, folks that are out there listening to the podcast, uh, if you missed the interview with uh, Jack Lombardi, uh, he actually stayed on, again, for the entire show a couple weeks ago. And uh, we, we've had a few of our, our candidates that we've had on, you know, stay the whole time. Uh, but he, he, he did. He stayed on for, you know. The whole three hours, which was which was uh, which was pretty nice, pretty pretty neat. So hopefully we'll have him on uh, the show again. Of course, we'll have some other folks. But again, if you know if you could go and you share the link again, if you need the link uh, or or somewhere to find it, just reach out to me, and I'd be happy to give you that information uh, so we can you know be a promote show. We get other folks uh, listening as well, so that would be appreciated. Uh, you know, for that. So we're looking forward to next week. So we'll have to close things out as I do each week, and that is with 
the song by Aubrey Ashburn. Uh, she don't do music anymore. She uh, does uh, painting. Uh, and so one of these days I, I'll be able to afford to get one of her uh, her artwork. It just that now is not the time. Uh, but hopefully at, at some point we will. And who knows, maybe I'll try to get her back on the show. But, I mean, it's been a long time. But I think it would be kind of kind of neat to have some past folks uh, uh you know, like I know we try to get uh, from Oath Keepers back on, but I don't. You know, with with all the stuff going on, and of course with the the new commission that may happen. I mean, ho- hopefully, you know, the recent Republicans that still have spines. Uh, that's not going to you know kowtow to the Democrats' demands. But anyway, folks, we'll see you next week. Uh, have a, a good week, and I really appreciate you coming on. And have a good night. Take care. Thank mm-hmm. you.